Hello there, you're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. And in honor of the forthcoming Killers of the Flower Moon, our highly anticipated movie coming from Martin Scorsese, we will finally be be doing a director analysis on him. This will be the first part of many, but at least two, that we'll do for the upcoming film. In this episode, we will talk about Raging Bull, After Hours, and The Wolf of Wall Street. Let's start out with some news, and we have massive news, huge news, great news. The WGA strike has ended. So they have finally struck a deal with the AMPTP after 148 days. The strike ended officially on September 27th, so it was a few deals a few days after they had a tentative deal. Um, and again, the full WGA membership hasn't even voted on it yet but they've already decided the strike has ended people are able to go back to work because they're thinking that it'll be a huge in favor vote for the deal that they have struck so look at that amazing stuff incredible lay down some details on what that deal consists of ryan yeah so i was at a a panel over this past week where barry sandler professor UCF and a member of WGA was able to share some insights into what uh, the WGA had been passing around to their members. And that is also now currently available to look at online. Um, But some of the gains, there's a lot of things that are in there, but some of the major, major ones that we'll just touch on, which are the ones that we've been speaking about uh, as we have discussed the strike over the past few months. The transparency for streaming shows is one victory writers were able to get. So streamers will provide the WGA with the total number of hours of series that are streamed on a streaming service so long as it is an original program. So that type of wording is pretty interesting because there's been discussions of things like Breaking Bad, The Office, Friends, these huge hits Mm -hmm. for streaming services that were not original to their platforms. I don't know if those numbers will still be kept under wraps by the streamers, but at least things that are created by the streamers. So Wednesday, for example, that was a big one of the writer of that, uh, mentioning like how little money he was able to see despite the massive success of that series on Netflix. Um, at the least, those will be clear to the writers so that they will be able to use um, in negotiations and things like that going forward. So that's pretty great. The... Other one major thing that was being discussed was residuals and, of course, how the streaming landscape has changed that compared to network and cable television. So there will be success-based residuals on streaming shows, and there's some sort of formula that they have for it. It's If it gets extremely popular in within the first however many days of release or in each subsequent calendar, if there's like some random boost that happens and it hits a certain metric then there will be a bonus paid to the writers for that so that is progress there honestly i don't think that one 
at least just because I haven't been able to dig into all the details for it yet, but it doesn't seem to be, I don't know, reaching the same levels of sustainability that broadcast, you know, network mm-hmm. uh, television was able to get back in the day, but it's progress. So that at least is good to, again, massive shows like Wednesday that are going to drive huge amounts of people to subscribe or stay subscribed to a service. They will at least be able to get a nice kickback for the success they're able to create. In terms of minimum staff for writer's room, this will depend based on episode count, but for any episode count, there needs to be at least three writers. Um, And it can be, these writers can be writer producers. So like a showrunner can count for this, but as it goes up, I think like six episodes is the first one. So six and under is three and then up to 12 is five. And then beyond that is six writers including the uh, like writer producer. So the showrunner and whoever else can be included in that. But that at least helps to, again, create more of that writer's room and allow for other people to get their experience, get their feet wet. Um, so yeah, in terms of AI, massive uh, point of contention for both WGA and the SAG strike, which by the way is still ongoing, although they're having meetings this upcoming week so maybe that deal will be struck in the very near future as well um, but with ai they got really good uh concessions from the studios so ai generated material cannot be considered source material and they cannot write ai cannot write literary material or rewrite literary material so that means a studio can't get a script from a writer, a real life writer, and then throw an AI on there to rewrite it and then eliminate the credit of that initial writer. They also can't have an AI generate a script, bring on a real life writer to rewrite it, and then not credit that real life writer as the writer and just say like, oh, it was AI that wrote it. So yeah, that helps to preserve any writing credits uh, of actual writers. AI will not be able to be credited in any way. Um, And writers may use AI if they want to in their own writing process, but they can't be forced to buy studios to do it. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the rates for pay and then residual bases, there's um, some differing percentage amounts, but for most of them, it is an increase of 5% this next year, then 4% for the year after, and then 3.5% for the final year of this deal, which is a three-year deal. So once again, they will need to renegotiate in 2026. So hopefully that won't result in another strike. Everything can be sorted out before it comes to that. But yeah, for the next three years, we have a deal between the writers and studios. So there we go. All right, and now we can move on to our box office breakdown for September 22nd to the 24th. Coming in first place, The Nun 2, in its third weekend, made $8.5 million. Fantastic. Yeah, so it was able to retain the crown once again. Shocking. Beating out yet another debut film, Expendables 4, which only made $8 million. So coming in just shy of taking that top spot, and it did hit a single-digit opening, which Oof. is crazy. So... The uh, that whole franchise just kept going down and down in terms of its openings. Indeed, 
Following Expendables was A Haunting in Venice, 6.3 million. The Equalizer 3, 4.7 million. Barbie, 3.2 million. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, 3 million. It Lives Inside, 2.6 million. Dumb Money finally goes wide. It's been in limited release for like weeks now. And it gets 2.4 million. Blue Beetle, 1.8 million. And Oppenheimer clinging to the top 10 still with 1.6 million. Let's go, Oppy. And now we can do our box office predictions for September 29th to October 1st. We have a few new movies coming out this weekend. The first one we'll talk about is Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie. Ryan, Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie. Your thoughts? <laughs> I. It's a sequel mm-hmm. to Paw Patrol, The Movie. Um, and that one did well, clearly well enough to get the second one going. Of course. Um, I mean, Paw Patrol past our time but the kids are loving it i think so let's say 15 mil i'm gonna go 12 12 okay. i'm gonna take the under it's still september it's still a week or wait well, i guess it's october now but i mean it's still pretty much september it's still a week time for movies also coming out this weekend saw saw x saw 10 is it saw 10 i'm gonna go with saw 10 well it's saw x but yes it is a, is 10th it saw saw a movie i mean yeah they're doing the whole fast x thing x yeah uh i can't really i mean the saw franchise is definitely hitting its limits at this point right i mean with spiral coming out a few years ago and bombing this one can't be too far behind i'm gonna go nine million at the most i think horror has been surprising as of late events by the nun two having three weekends straight on top and mm. this one has been well received. It's got the best reviews of any Saw movie ever. So what, really? Yeah. So I that's think cr- even the original. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So I think between the horror crowd, I mean, it is just hitting October. Um, so it, we're in that season. So I think people are gonna show out for it. I think it can get twenty million. Because that's what all these horror films have been getting lately. So I think it'll come out on top. All right. Fair enough. I suppose that's indeed possible. And the last movie coming out this weekend, having its debut, is The Creator. A sci-fi movie that you and I are looking forward to seeing. That Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I don't think will make a lot of money this weekend. No, I don't think so either. But do you think it'll be able to surpass... Well, you had Paw Patrol on top right now. So do you think Creator will be able to win the weekend or... Mm. it's hard to say i think i think if i think if i think it'll be between paw patrol and saw x i don't think the creator is going to be a contender contender sorry i was thinking about raging bull (laughs) i don't think it will be a contender i think maybe 12 million is the cap for the creator gotcha I don't think it's going to do much more than that. I think it'll hit double digits, but I think just barely. So I think it'll be between Paw Patrol and Saw X. We'll just have to see how it goes. Gotcha. Yeah, I think around that range, 12 to 15 million. I think it'll fall short of Paw Patrol, but which Mm -hmm. is unfortunate. So yeah, I'm thinking Saw X, then Paw Patrol, then the creator. Um, And creator and Paw Patrol will be around the like mid teens. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Let us now move on to the director analysis for Martin Scorsese. I'm talking about three of his pictures in this one. 
But let's first chat about his style and some of his trademarks. So in the ones that we'll be seeing, certainly the first and third that we'll be discussing, he loves his immoral, deeply flawed characters. And he loves to try and find at least some measure of empathy for them. But for the most part, yeah, he's not going to shy away from showing the despicable, ugly sides of them. Um, So that, yeah, definitely a big theme throughout many of his films, especially because gangster flicks, Mm -hmm. what he's most known for, uh, what he started out as, and what some of his most well-known films are. So that's a massive subgenre for him. Same with faith-based films. We'll be talking about one of those in our next, our part two of the director analysis. But um, yeah, quite a few of his films either directly and explicitly deal with it or it's uh, an undercurrent throughout it. And both of those, of course, are rooted in his upbringing, being from New York, having an Italian background, being Catholic background. You probably know more about that. Do you have any... uh, insight you want to share of marty's past marty's past i uh i don't know too much about marty's past i've seen he did he did two short documentaries in the 70s which were sort of they were produced at different times but they were kind of released wide to audiences recently in like a double pack of like dvds or like a a a gruesome twosome kind of thing one of them was Italian American, which is a profile of his parents and his family, which I have not seen. And then the other one was American Boy, which is it's 40 minutes long. And it's this guy he knew growing up. His name's Stephen Prince. And this dude just has like crazy stories. And so he just films this guy telling stories for 40 minutes. And they're insane. Like in one of them, he kills a guy. Like they're they're truly, truly crazy stories. And, and it is a very, very interesting short film. I recommend it many people to go watch American Boy by Martin Scorsese, especially because Martin Scorsese is like in it. He's interviewing Stephen Prince the whole time and he is just high off his mind on cocaine. <laughs> he's like, he's talking so fast and his, he's just like acting so erratic. It's really, really funny. Wow. Crazy. But yeah, those clearly give an insight into uh, the world he grew up in and the violence that he knew very well from that. So that is included in many, many of his films. Camera movements. He loves to move the camera. loves to have them tracking shots. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, you know very well from your favorite film. Oh, the, yeah. The iconic Goodfellas winner. So. Oh, yeah. The Copacabana. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So That's not the Copacabana. Is it the Copacabana? Yeah, it, is. Yeah. it is the Copacabana. Yeah, yeah. Is it the Copacabana? It is. You can fact check it, but I I believe it is. I'd bet money on it. Uh, So there's that one. But of course, I mean, many of his films has uh, some iconic tracking shots. But even when he's not being very flashy with them, they're always, they have a purpose to them. They're narrative driven. But he also has a lot more subtle moves that he likes to use to punctuate the emotions in the scene and what's going on between the characters. It is the Copacabana. There you go. Absolutely. (laughs) So, yeah, he definitely knows how to leverage the best parts of motion pictures. Um, he loves his narrators as well. Got a few of that, a few of those coming up in our films that we're going to be discussing. So, since he loves his emphasis on characters, especially the very flawed ones and moral ones, getting to hear them, like 
hear directly from them and their point of view, their perspective, either as they're rationalizing what they're doing or very much not rationalizing what they're doing and still being very uh, happy and content with themselves as they do so gives a lot of insight. So that's an interesting uh, device that he uses quite often. Mm-hmm. And then his music choice, Scorsese is not known like a Spielberg or a Nolan, for instance, who like their scores, they go out and find composers. They're going to create really iconic scores. He emphasizes soundtracks much more and is able to handpick his music to put to scenes and to bring out the emotion. Yeah. Um, so that's another big Scorsese trademark. So yeah. Anything else you want to throw out there about our big man, Marty? His movies are just so, so cool. And it, it boils down to having the ability to look at what you need to do and what you're trying to do and make decisions and be able to make the right decisions and be confident in the decisions you're making and then keep moving. That's the thing that I always like the confidence of his movies stands out so strongly and I love it. I love watching all of his movies. There's always like something here or there that you can pay attention to or little things that you might miss. You can go back on. He's not much of a writer. He's like a director director. Like he's not a director writer. He picks writers a lot like uh, we just talked about uh, uh, Rob Reiner, Reiner, who was also a director's director who would pick writers and make great projects based on their writing. And Martin Scorsese is a lot like that. There's a couple of times where he's made some writing credits, including Goodfellas. But for the most part, he is like a director's director. And you can really feel that in his movies that he's so focused on taking the story that's already he knows has already been written so excellently and turning it into something even greater because of his confident directing and he's been able to do that for 50 years almost now more than just an incredibly long career and like just stellar stellar moments in each decade yeah very true he's been as an expansive filmography extremely influential i mean for you and i both i'm sure he's up on the mount rushmore of directors yeah and then absolutely yeah there are plenty of people actively working in the business day that would also be doing that who are like creating the hits of now of this decade and Scorsese their hero is right alongside them still cranking out masterpieces so mm. excited for Killers of the Fire Moon oh my and god wait. it's getting so good but yeah it's just ridiculous. a few more weeks man just a few more weeks ridiculous how he's still at 80 years old still just cranking out amazing films and as you said, yeah, each decade he's been able to continuously do that. What we did is sort of picked from various decades. We only have three films on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Raging Bull, which though it came out in 1980s, so technically an 80s film. It's much more in line with 70s, like new Hollywood cinema. So that'll technically be like our 70s pick, or 80s pick with After Hours, and then 2010s with Wolf of Wall Street. So despite them being of like very different eras of movie making and him, of course, being very different. I mean, what, like 33 years between the first one and the last one that we've picked here. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be that crazy of an evolution because as you said, he was so confident from the very beginning. Like Mm -hmm. he was so assured. So uh, just masterful from the get go and in raging bull, which we'll talk about, but a lot of the choices that he makes there, very influential in the fact, again, the filmmaking approaches of people 
that came afterwards. And so, I mean, yeah, what can you do when you're already trailblazing in your, what, fourth feature film is what Raging Bull was, third or fourth? Yeah, something like that. Taxi Driver before that and Mean Streets before that, already in their own right. But Taxi Driver is definitely the one that like cemented them as someone to watch. And then Raging Bull, I think, this elevated is him fifth to... fifth movie. Fifth. There yeah. you go. Okay. Um, where were the other ones? It was Mean Streets, uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Taxi Driver, yeah. New York, New York, and then Raging Bull. And then he did the Last Waltz documentary about the band. Gotcha, but that gotcha. was a documentary, you know, not a narrative, you know. I see, I see. So yeah, it was yeah, Mean Streets, Alice, then Taxi Driver, New York, New York. Have you ever seen that one? I have seen New York, New York. I watched it in Barry's class. Yeah. And, uh, not the greatest? I mean, there's a reason why it was a, a critical and commercial bomb. Like, no. <laughs> my so okay, so really quick about New York, New York. I think it's good. I think it had potential. It's really, really long. It's like over two and a half hours long, I'm pretty sure. And it was filmed in the same style as like the '40s musicals, where it's like all the same lens type, and it's all on sets, and it's all these grandeur things. So you think it'd be great. It's Liza Minnelli, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then it really sucks to say. But I think the heavyweight of the movie, like the 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 thing that weighs it down the most is Robert Zero. I don't think, no. I think it's one of his worst performances and I don't think it's his fault. I think it was just a bad interpretation of what that character was supposed to be. Like he's supposed to be this guy that like pesters Liza Minnelli, but like in a lovable way. And throughout like the first hour of the movie, I just, Robert De Niro is just annoying as fuck. He's <laughs> just so fucking annoying that I just don't like his character. And then like, it's supposed to be, they fall in love and then their success drives them apart. Like they get too obsessed with it. But if I already don't like his character, I'm really not going to like him when he turns into an asshole, like <laughs> let alone in the beginning, I'm supposed to like him at first and then he becomes an asshole and I don't like him. But if I hate him from the beginning, I just don't care anymore. So I think that was like the biggest issue with the movie. But other than that, like it is a cool story and it has some great, great set design and some great, great shots. For sure. Gotcha. It's just too gotcha. long and Robert De Niro weighed it down for sure. Dang. Well, that connects to two points for Scorsese. One being his collaborations, definitely a major part of him. I mean, him and De Niro, the most famous example, but then also like Leonardo DiCaprio, another one. Uh, very major director, mm-hmm. actor collaboration. Um, and then De Niro, especially in those early films, playing an unlikable character i think that ties in very well with raging bull so we can start talking in about all that. of them bro robert de niro I mean, plays unlikable characters in all of these movies from the 70s yeah every single one so with raging bull 1980 again got de niro got pesci in there as well um kathy moriarty so this film you have quite a mixed uh relationship with although it was really I mean, really quite negative, but you could say that I'm curious about where that came from, where your like story with Raging Bull started, because knowing you and your love of, I mean, Goodfellas, of course, yeah, number one film, and then your general love and adoration of Scorsese, your complete disgust for Raging Bull. Ah, disgust is too strong. No, no, man, you're like now, now hate. So just explain where you're coming from there. And then okay. watching it this time, we'll see uh, if anything's changed or if it solidified that 
Okay. Hate, hate may be a strong word. So my first interaction with this movie is that I put it on and I watched 25 minutes and I got bored and I turned it off and I never finished it. So hate was a strong word for any movie that I didn't technically finish. Yeah. I mean, I should, if I'm going to say I hate a movie, I should give it a chance to at least finish. Now, I, I think it's become well known on this podcast publicly that I do not like sports movies. I, I, I cannot stand them. The only one that I've seen that I think is like amazing is Moneyball. And they barely play baseball in that movie. It's mostly just like statistics. It has nothing to do with baseball. I mean, I really don't, I don't like, um, what is it? The, the Marky Mark one where he's invincible. I don't like, uh, uh, the one with Denzel in the football. I hate all football movies. Really. I have never seen a football movie. that I like, I really hate the blind side. I, that that's a movie I hate for sure. Yeah. Especially with everything that came out now about <laughs> the blind side. Uh, it just very rarely do I see a sports movie that I like. Like if I had to list some, it would be Moneyball, The Sandlot. Um, God, I'm running out. <laughs> so that's it seems like baseball, so, bad news. I believe it like Rocky. I, oh my God, you're right. I love Bad News Bears. Oh my God. Okay, so I fucking the original. The original Bad News Bears made me cry twice when wow. I rewatched it recently. But that was also because I was, I had the flu and I was like on the verge of dying. <laughs> so I was already like very high strung with my emotions. And then I watched that movie and made me cry twice because I played Little League when I was a kid. It just, it just took me back to a very wow. brief moment in my life. I did not play for long. But I don't know. I just... Three baseball movies. That's interesting. There's something to that. And it may be your think, experience. Since that's yeah, it's, it's possible. I also think that baseball is just like probably the easiest story to tell in... It's like the, the true underdog story of like, a whole game could be relying on one home run. And then that home run magic moment is so easy to replicate in movie after movie after movie. Like Moneyball does it. Sandlot does it. Bad News Bears does it. Like it's the same thing, but it it still feels fantastic when you watch them get that home run that wins the game. Sure. It's fantastic. I don't give a shit about scoring touchdowns and field goals and shit like that. Yeah, I don't yeah, even so like Rocky. watching baseball in real life. Yeah, and I Which don't is like fascinating, Rocky. Yeah, with your the sports that you watch in real life versus not. But yeah, you don't like Rocky. Don't like Rocky um, or boxing movies in general. So with this one, which is branded as a boxing movie, but as I'm sure we'll talk about, mm-hmm. it, maybe this will be what influences you. It's not really yeah. a boxing movie. It's not really a boxing movie at all. It is very much a movie about Jake LaMotta and how much of an asshole he is, and like how much how much of like his aggression and rage was the thing that made him such a great fighter, but also like ruined his life because of how terrible a person he was. Mm-hmm. So uh, having given it the chance of watching the whole thing, here's my complete unbiased, thorough opinion now. Yeah. So I do not hate this movie. Okay. That's a win. I like this movie. Oh my gosh. I what do not thought? love this movie. All right. That's okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at like, so I think technically speaking, it is filmed incredibly well. Like the choice to have uh, a single camera instead of multiple coverage of all the boxing fights is just so electrifying. It feels so much different than any other boxing movie that's ever made. Like the the specific choreography to use that single camera makes it look incredible. The shots of the blood dripping off the ropes or like the water washing off oh, the back. Like, I mean, okay. shot wise, it is phenomenal. The choice to do black and white, phenomenal. The performances, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The actual writing and pacing of the movie 
mm-hmm. for what is supposed to be a boxing movie. It gets pretty slow at times. Yeah. And uh, I don't mind a slow movie. I minded it this time. I I just uh, it was not it was not a story that I cared enough about from the get go to be able to slow down and really sink into it. I wish I wish I had picked up in the beginning a little more and then slowed down for me. But it was kind of like you do that first fight with Robert De Niro. You're in it. You're excited, and then he goes and he fights with his first wife, and then Joe Pesci shows up and he fights with Joe Pesci, and then Joe Pesci and him go for a walk. And then they go to a club or something. And it just really kind of slows down from there. And then every once in a while, he's fighting Sugar Ray. And, you know, he's got the the cool things going on. The, the God, the shot of Sugar Ray Robinson when he goes to beat up Jake LaMotta in the 13th round where it does the, uh, the dolly zoom. Oh, my yeah. God. What a shot. What a shot of Sugar Ray. Oh, my God. That is, that is beautiful. That is gorgeous. And then him beating the shit out of Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro going up to him and being like, but you didn't get me down. I mean, there are, there are great moments in this movie. That is a great moment. I also love, like, yeah, the blood just relentlessly coming oh out. God. Like, splashing like the crazy. audience. The one shot of just, like, it dripping down the leg is just uh, insane. Yeah, I loved all of that. Yeah. The boxing scenes were incredible. I really, really enjoyed watching the boxing scenes. And that's because Martin Scorsese knows really knows how to make a movie i mean it's just, it just it looks incredible and it feels incredible the editing of it the sh- the shooting of it is fantastic mm-hmm. the pacing was yeah, the uh, the point of view shots as well of like the punches being thrown and the punches being like received oh like, yeah cutting between those like very quickly mm-hmm. like that stuff is great because yeah other boxing movies at the time were not being mm-hmm. shot in such a way and then yeah. scorsese also he's not like a fan of sports. So he also didn't really care for boxing. So he wasn't trying to recreate viewing boxing. He was trying to recreate being in boxing and using which I love violence, which yeah, he was able to tap into more roots in the characters more, much more visceral. So yeah, that was a great direction. He went in there. Mm-hmm. What is your experience with watching this movie? Is this the first time you watched it? Yeah. Really? And mm-hmm. did you like it? I did. It's just All one right. of those things like watching it. We had mentioned this, I think, in like a Kurosawa episode, but mm-hmm. just knowing that you're in the hands of a master and being able to be drawn in by the simplest stuff, like him going on that like series of dates with Vicky or whatever it was, and he was like gradually trying to get her back to the apartment and then going through the apartment into his room and all that, mm-hmm. like that goes on for quite a while. And we know the obvious endpoint here, like yeah. we know where it's going and all that. But just the way that Scorsese is able to allow us to sit in that and just like watch as this, what we know for Vicky will ultimately go wrong in the long Mm -hmm. run for her. See him like continually being able to succeed and make the next step, make the next step. Um, It's just great. Like comparing that to uh, the bombastic scenes of the boxing stuff, like all that is of course very obviously amazing, but those quieter moments as well. Mm-hmm. Is he able to suck you in? Scorsese is in such a powerful way. So even though it was slow, I agree with you for a lot of it, it was quite slow. Those moments had me for most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I did really like the scene where Jake meets Vicky and they're at the pool and they're on the opposite sides of the fence. And uh, Jake oh, yeah. is like, Jake is like, you like that car? 
And she's like, yeah. He's like, that's my car. She goes, huh? He's like, you want to ride in that car? She's like, yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's really, really funny and it's really yeah. good. I really like that scene because it's just so simple. And he's just like, I hate using this word, but the riz on this guy, like <laughs> the the confidence when he's driving the car and he has his arm out and he goes, "Come here," <laughs> she just like leans into his arm. Mm-hmm. The moves, the moves on this man, the balls. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, for most of it, knowing that because yeah, very rapidly, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is not a boxing movie in the slightest." Like mm-hmm. even Rocky back then, like there's two fights maybe if that in the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but most of it is spent on like training, training and, like, and dealing with the boxing stuff. And so that is much more tied to it. This one, mm-hmm. so much of it is not like, we don't see him train. We see him train once, I think like and yeah. it's early on. It's just him to also like beat up on Pesci and to be like, Oh, I don't want those guys like buying me out or anything. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Else. That was the other thing of this, of like Rocky. I mean, any boxing movie ever is going to be compared to that because it was, uh, the perfect underdog story. This one mm-hmm. is the reverse of that, right? Like it's the anti-underdog story because while he is trying to make, work his way up, we, one, kind of don't want him to make it because he's just such a bad guy and we see that continuously. And mm-hmm. we also know to be even more unhealthy if he is able to achieve that. Um, but him continually being self-destructive is yeah. like keeping him back. So it's like he, like he's a great fighter but either because he wants to take the punishment in the ring or sometimes he's being told to of like, Oh, take the loss on this one. And then he makes it so obvious so that he gets uh, suspended for a bit, which so it's cause I mean, it's the people that were paying him off to do that. That should be getting I think the most, but yeah. like that in danger. That's really fine. funny. I think it's really funny that he gets suspended because he doesn't make it believable because yeah. he goes, he goes like fight the guy and he swings at him once and the guy's down on the ground <laughs> And the guy has to like put him down and he's just not going down because he's not trying hard enough. I think that's really, really funny. But yeah, but things like that of like these barriers to him getting to the top because he really could get there, but his own inability to control his emotions, just like stay focused and not get so caught up in this jealousy and all this. Oh my God, the jealousy. Like he's his own worst enemy there. So I thought that was a very fascinating approach to it. He is the underdog, but it's like only because of himself. He doesn't have to overcome these external obstacles. Um, there's no like great challenger that he's fighting. Like Sugar Ray, obviously, is the one that we see him encounter multiple times. But mm-hmm. it's really just himself and his own like despicableness that's holding him back. Yeah, dude, the jealousy in this movie is crazy. It is it's crazy. It's the wild. the scene of the pool when him he's talking to Joe Pesci and he's like he's like. I know she's doing this. I just wish I could catch her. I wish I could catch her once. And I'm like, you have no evidence. You have zero evidence other than your yeah. own feelings. And you're talking about how you just want to catch her. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That is insane. When when Joe Pesci, when she, when she yeah. talks to Frank Vincent and then Joe Pesci beats him up, which <laughs> yeah. is also crazy. That scene goes on for so long. He attacks him in the club. They fight for a little bit. Joe Pesci gets thrown out. Frank Vincent gets thrown out. Joe she sneaks behind him, beats him with the the arm to like the the rope, pushes him down on the ground. He tries to get in the cab, starts punt like slamming the, the cab door on his head, and then climbs the cab and runs off. It is such a long scene of him beating the shit out of Frank Vincent. Yeah, 
that stuff is crazy. I also like how that too of yeah, Joe Pesci's character is not by any means a saint. Like he does the same sort of things of yeah. very misogynistic, like telling like when they both shoo off their wives. Mm-hmm. Like that was just disgusting. That's got nothing to do with you. That's not got nothing to do with you. It's his wife. Get out. <laughs> yeah. Lorraine, get out. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's awful. And then he's also violent. Like he beats up that one guy for, again, a crazy amount of time. I just can't believe like no one else was able to just hold that man off of him. I mean, Joe Pesci is not that. Dude, uh, don't fuck with Joe Pesci. Physically man. imposing, but the man's got, I mean, he's nimble. He doesn't he's stop. Quick. He doesn't stop. He's, yeah, he's ferocious he will just keep going so you've seen goodfellas man he doesn't stop i sure have so yeah you've seen home alone he doesn't stop (laughs) true um but yeah so i think that's a fascinating component too of none of and we'll talk about that in you know wolf of wall street as well but so many of those characters are just despicable and even when some are by comparison better and they have like better moments like when pesci Mm -hmm. is like oh go make up with your wife or when he's trying to be like look, your jealousy's crazy, like, nothing happened, you just need to calm down. He also still has his own, like, horrible traits about him. Um, yeah. He does, in some ways, like, enable De Niro. Like, if he were there to put his foot down and be like, stop treating your wife terribly, you're stopping so jealous and really push that, then maybe things would be different. Um, but in some ways, Lamada, I don't even think if Pesci were, like, a better character and were able to try and impose more moral lessons on him. Lamada, I don't think would have been able to receive it. He's just that insecure and that violent and unable to control himself. So, I mean, they're brothers. They're cut from the same cloth, you know? Very true. That's just what it is. You know, they are who they are and who they are is not good people. (laughs) Who they are is pretty terrible people. Good God. But talking about great performances. I mean, my God, Joe Pesci and, and Robert De Niro both. Fantastic. Fantastic. Amazing stuff, yeah. I can't believe she's like first big movie role. That's crazy. Yeah, he's so self-assured in it. Like they're back and forth so many Mm -hmm. times when he's trying to get him to hit him. Lamada wants the brother to punch him in the face. That's so great. And then when they're on the couch, he's like fiddling with the TV. Pesci's on the couch and they're Mm -hmm. going back and forth. He's like, what happened happened? with the bar? And then he never told me what happened. Dude, Robert De Niro is Did you did you think Robert De Niro was obnoxious in that scene where he's just like relentless about asking that question? I mean, that's what we're supposed to feel, right? Is he's yeah, that's what he's like in every second of New York, New York. (laughs) It's crazy. He's that like obnoxiously relentless of like, tell me, just tell me, just tell me, just tell me, just tell me. It's or just in in New York, New York. He's like, you want to go out? You don't want to go out. You do want to go out. You want to go out? Come on, you want to go out? Come on. You want to go out with me? Come on. You want to go out with me? Come on. I know you want to go out with me. What do, we, what do you mean you don't want to go out with me? You do want to go out with me. Look at me. You want to go out with me? Oh, my God. It's horrible. It's so obnoxious. Yeah. So that was crazy. Also, De Niro putting on the weight for the later part of the film when he's retired. So fat. For real. What dedication so for that. Because he got in great shape. The best he's ever oh been Oh, my in. God. And I wouldn't then, say the best. The best he's been in is Cape Fear. Oh, my God. God, dude, he is scary ripped in Cape Fear. Oh, my God. And that was like 13 years after this movie. And he is like fucking huge. He is so jacked and so muscular and terrifying. Mm -hmm. He's got all those tattoos on him. That movie's great. We should talk about Cape Fear at some point. 
there will yeah be time later down the road to do it but just the dedication of like being there to what you have to do to get into that shape and then being like all right now i'm gonna put all all this weight to fulfill the rest of the role that i have to do it's just always sad when it has to happen but great dedication for the actors to uh to do it but yeah so with his post-boxing days as well and like owning the club he's like doing really bad really bad (laughs) stand-up that's just so funny of how pathetic he has gotten and then Mm. his wife leaves him his brother of course doesn't talk to him he gets thrown in jail so yeah tries to sell the gems to his uh belt not even the whole belt. He's only selling the gems. The whole belt would have been enough to pay for what the lawyer that he needed to pay for. And he wouldn't put up the belt. He only put up the gems. Yeah. Because it was the most prized possession. He didn't want to lose the whole belt. So, yeah, yeah it wasn't able to, to make the bail. And then, yeah, him punching the wall, hitting his head into the wall at the end. What do you think? Oh, I love that scene. That was great. I just, it felt so real to me. Like, that was like one of the best scenes I've ever seen out of Robert De Niro. It felt mm-hmm. so real and raw. Like he was like connecting with exactly what Jake LaMotta would be feeling in that moment. This just raw, pure anger at himself and just yeah. expressing it onto that wall. It's so good. And like just doing like the repeated punching of like the training punching. This is like how you train into like a punching bag where you just hammering into a wall and he just fully lets go. This frustration of like, you are in like you don't even care who's looking. You don't care who's paying attention. You are just so beyond angry and frustrated, and you are just releasing it all. It felt it, it was incredible to watch. Yeah, that's I thought that was captivating. Great too, like that self punishment aspect of it. Of yeah, mm-hmm. he has to again. Violence is the only way he can compute these things. Yeah, and then there's no one to lay it on other than himself at this point. So yeah, I thought that was. That was great. And then just, yeah, the emotions in that point, because Lamada, we've seen how much he's damaged other people, how awful he's been. And then this is his lowest moment. Mm-hmm. And you do feel some sympathy for him. But then also at the same time, you're like, this is like a fraction of what you've caused other people. So it's like partially what you should be getting. But it sucks that this is also the way like you still are hurting yourself so much like you can't even just sit there silently and process oh i did this i got myself here let me be better you still have to like take it to this very violent place to do it which mm-hmm. is sad to see so like the complexity of that yeah. emotion uh at that point i think is really well done so yeah uh, an amazing yeah. amazing scene all right any other thoughts on raging bull uh i just had a good time watching it i suppose it just still was a little too slow for me if you ask me i i I feel like if it had been written a little differently or paced a little bit differently, I would really, really like it. I think it's shot great. I think all the set design and the costume design, the performances, the lighting, the cinematography, everything about it is just, from a technical standpoint, is just absolutely gorgeous. But I just had like tiny little smidgen problems with the way it was written and the way it was paced, which, you know, they can't all be winners. And also, sports movie. I mean, come on, sports (laughs) movie. It got away with not really being a sports movie, which is great, but sports movie come on it's a sports movie it's not but it is one of these days we're gonna get to the bottom of the uh, sports movie thing but that's for another episode ask martin scorsese he doesn't like him either well but then he made 
Maybe one, one of the greatest. Or, uh, yeah, a masterpiece and one of the greatest of all Which time. Which I think is really funny. He goes, I don't really like sports movies, but I'll give it a shot. And then just makes it, <laughs> makes one of the greatest sports movies of all time. Yeah, he never even wanted to do it. Like De Niro was trying to get him for years to do it. Mm. Um, so that's fascinating. All right, how many overcooked steaks out of five are you giving this one? You're burning the steak. Bring the steak over here. You're burning the steak. Love Robert De Niro. She should have just I love Robert De Niro in this movie. He's so good. I'm going to give it a four out of five. I'm also giving it a four out of five. Really? Yeah. You didn't say anything negative about it. Where is that last star going? Where did it go? I mean, again, it's not like there's any moments where i'm like oh that was awful or oh i don't like that it's just overall it, it's not hitting like a truly upper echelon but so much of it is again captivating great i liked it and you gave predestination a five i did not <laughs> yeah you did no i didn't what did you give it then i give it a 4.5 <laughs> oh you fucking bastard <laughs> the closest score you could give to a five god get the fuck out of here that's crazy <laughs> to me but, I mean, like you said, there's definitely slower parts to it. I think it loses some steam towards the end, mm-hmm. like in the post-boxing thing, when he's doing yeah, like, the comedian sure. bit and whatnot. Um, I felt that maybe could have been yeah. really condensed and all of that. But overall, I mean, yeah, like you said, really solid, four to five. Yeah, Let's move on to After Hours, 1985. Have you seen this movie before? I had not, and had you? I had not, but I had wanted to see it for a really, really long time because it seemed like something that I would really like. It, it's an hour and a half, very short. It is a screwball. And I like that runtime. <laughs> I know nothing well, about it, but 90 minutes, yes. <laughs> I like movies that can get to the point in an hour and a half. Like, There's a lot of movies out there. I, I love a long movie too. I like Once Upon a Time in America. That's four hours long. But if you can get to the point and do it well in an hour and a half, you have my praise. Like, I think that's impressive. I've always yeah. thought that like hitting that 90 minute runtime and being like, I'm done. That's all I needed to do. I think that's impressive because to me, when I write, I write a lot and you write a lot. Like it's hard to I cut down. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to cut I down. Know. Like, could you imagine if you could like the, the script you wrote for your BFA? Could you imagine if you could have the uh, ability, the power to cut it down to 90 pages and have it be just as, if not better than the length set now? Wouldn't you feel like a God if you could do that? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. But it's mind blowing. Like I, I can't imagine getting a story like that through in ninety minutes. But not only is this movie an epic runtime, but like the idea of it being the screwball comedy of Griffin Dune, who's an actor I really like, just going around having a really wild night, like that that very simple premise seemed like something that I would really, really like. And then I watched the movie, and do you know what I think of it? Did you really, really like it? I really, really liked it. I fucking loved it. <laughs> this movie's great. Oh, it was exactly what I wanted it to be and more. I think this movie is absolutely amazing. What did you think of it? I also really enjoyed it. I thought it was such a odd, interesting choice for Scorsese to pick, mm-hmm. especially in the beginning. And But even as it goes on and things just keep getting more ridiculous and absurd and wild. It's really bizarre. Um, it is. So, yeah, it's funny because this is definitely one of the lesser known films out of his catalog yeah but it's Um, one of his better ones if you ask me i think it's so good it is really good again it has that same quality of like in that beginning in that apartment stuff when you're not really sure like what's going on like when is the other shoe gonna drop like all that stuff is so captivating um and then yeah as it goes on and the night gets more 
ridiculous and crazy the way he's able to build that momentum because it does start out fairly slow and then it just gets bonkers towards the end Mm -hmm. um so i thought that was also it's just a fascinating like change of pace for him yeah Um, it feels like one of those things where he came across a script and it doesn't seem like something that like resonates strongly like emotionally with him but like except for maybe that like feeling of paranoia which is so strong in the movie but it has like like it's so visually strong that he could like picture it and knew what he wanted to do with it and he made the movie and it was already a strong script and he took it and he elevated it with just really really good visuals and really really good editing and pacing and it just oh man it is just such a ride it's already such a solid script and then his follow through on it is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the let's go through, but as you said, screwball comedy definitely just like this adventure and odyssey through New York, which of course he loves the New York thing. But yeah, having it be this modern esque Wizard of Oz type deal, where he's just trying to get home at a certain point. Yeah, he starts out wanting to go and be with Marcy. Um, so he takes the taxi there, mm-hmm. loses a $20 bill, isn't able to pay the guy, um, and then ends up in the apartment. And then weird things start happening where she's already gone and she's like off at this, like at the convenience store getting a thing. There's this mm-hmm. plaster sculpture uh, in the mold of the scream, the screech. Which one was the one that he said it was? He said He said it was the screech and she goes, the scream yeah <laughs> and then yeah so we get all of that stuff going on what i just want to ask is when would you get out of there because that's the one thing about this is like at a certain point because it is like meant to be ridiculous and crazy and all this is stacking on itself but at a certain point too i'm like the decisions he makes has to be realistic and at a certain point i'm like you don't think they're realistic around here for dude i think i think i'm ones. such a a sap I think I'm such a sap that I would have stayed longer than him. I don't think I would have left even when he left. You what? <laughs> what? Well, that's also funny, though. The reason he leaves, I think, is hilarious. But when he... He leaves because he thinks she's a burn victim. Well, that, yeah. But he that said... And she, that and she, like, trauma dumps on him. Well, that. But it was specifically the joint. Like, the joint isn't real. And she, he's like, you're a liar. And then bounces off. Even though, like, yeah, the whole burn victim thing. And then the joint not being, and then insists on weed. seeing the the bagel, the plaster bagel, paperweight. Oh yeah, he's like, "Go get me that paperweight." That's what I came here for. Um, and then she goes to do it, and then he bounces. But yeah, the whole thing of like the trauma dumping happening, and then she's like, "Want to go get coffee?" And he's like, "Sure," which is like, "Okay, that makes sense." Of like, "Yeah, let's get out of here." But then when they come back, which they leave the coffee very quickly, by the way, like you didn't even finish the coffee. Mm-hmm. And then they got it for free, which is nice. But they go back. Mm-hmm. And then he tries to kiss her there. And then she starts crying. He's like, oh, sorry. Do you want me to leave? Do you want me going? And then yeah, you're back. right. I probably would have left. Like, <laughs> probably like, saying. I think I'm I late. probably would have left a little earlier than him. You're right. I, I was forgetting the smaller details. I was thinking of like in the situation of me like being on a date with this person at like one in the morning. And like if they are like going through a tough time, I would – like have the decency to like try and help them out. But I mean, there are so many little things that are kind of unnerving that would not make me want to stay. Right. 
I think the the stories that she tells are definitely do the shot when she talks about being assaulted and she points the fireplace and the camera that has been still for like a minute on this one shot quickly pans over to the fireplace. That is a very unnerving shot. If you ask me, mm-hmm. just like it's like it's acknowledging the presence of this new entrance into the apartment that I did not know about before that I'm now only thinking about. And then it like cuts back to the shot of just them. And now I'm only thinking about that fire escape and that it's there and that it's, it's break inable. You can break into it. Yeah. The break paranoia in. of it's crazy. Very true. So yeah, that would definitely be the moment where I'd be like, okay. I think I would have left at the coffee. Right. I think I would have gotten the coffee and then she would have told well, me. I think that's just, like, I would have been like, yeah, let's go. Well, cause did he, I can't remember. Did he start trying to put a move after she had like said that story? That's yeah, because because she tells the story of like her ex in the Wizard of Oz, and then they're walking up the stairs back to her apartment, and then he tries. Well, no, to no, kiss I know her. that part, but I mean, like in the room, like there was a because there was a moment when he starts doing something. She's like, "Oh, can we just talk?" Was it when she started talking that then she dropped that info about the Wizard of Oz? No, 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 about the attack. Yes, I think so. I was just trying to I figure out the timeline of when he like because there's definitely a moment where he started like trying to kiss her. Uh, in the room but that had to have been before them talking but yeah that would have been like okay let's get out of here number one because yeah the fire escape i've been like oh boy and then the break-ins happening and all this so it'd be like yeah let's go get coffee and then after that it'd be like okay yeah i think at that point i would have said good night walked her back to your apartment and then left exactly at that point i wouldn't have gone in a second time but Um, clearly he is down bad (laughs) and yes and was willing to push that I could, I can, I can understand and feel the desire to like try one last time to push it a little farther to make like the deal happen of like, let's go in, let's spend a little more time together, see if we can spend the night together. I'm willing to try it. Just it's a little odd, but maybe a little more. And then he goes in and he sees the pictures of the burn victims and he sees her leg. And is that, that's the point where she starts talking about the fire escape or is that before they go get coffee? I think it's before, that was before right? they go get coffee. Yeah. He, she, he has the joint. It's not weed. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Again, that's what set him off for real though. That's when he was like, that's it. <laughs> I think that was, he was a liar and you're a liar. I think so too. But I think the, uh, cause yeah, the whole burn victim thing, which didn't, did that come back around in the end? In yeah, the because yeah, he he goes back in and he like because he sees her leg and it looks like she has a burn. And then he check after she's dead, he checks her leg and it's just a tattoo. And then he looks all over her back and she's not burned at all. Yeah, I mean, like towards the end of the movie, though, did that ever come back around in another way? No, I don't think so. I think it's just it like this little thing that he like assumed about her that thought he thought was odd that turned him off to like the idea of staying with her. That was like the primary reason for him leaving, I think, was because he thought she was a burn victim and he didn't want to like see that stuff. And so he left. Right. Crazy. So uh, that element to it, though, you see in the bathroom, there's the just some drawing on the bathroom wall of like a shark biting off some dude's dick. <laughs> So <laughs> I love great that. Uh, little message there of the dangers of doing what yeah. he was trying to do. This movie's um, so good at being like everything that can go wrong is just going to go wrong one after another after another. Like he's never going to fucking catch a break. Yeah. Murphy's law. But that's the thing though, of like some of these things absolutely make sense. Like the seeing the van drive away with the sculpture in it or mm-hmm. like the people putting a sculpture in the, so he runs after mm-hmm. and now he has a sculpture and then that's what makes him go back. Cause he has to return it. 
Yeah, like, that's great. A yeah. great logical reason for him to go back and then absolutely see but then also also confusing them for the burglars and then it turns out that they are the burglars yeah that's <laughs> really funny nice little payoff but things like that were really good but then it was certain things too which again it's like a screwball comedy it's not like that awful to not be so logical in every little step of the way but when it was later later when he did find the bartender again in the diner yeah and then he was like, oh, yeah, you go get your keys. Go do that. I was like, dude, after the night you had, stick with that guy. I would be with that man until I see the keys. And then they're but in he my turns head. on him. And I'm gone. Well, he yeah. And if you him. walked out with him, you could have tried to been like, hey, by the way, remember when I didn't steal anything in your apartment when I was in there? And you can convince these people that I didn't do that. Or at the least, I'd. If you see the that truck coming, you would have been like, "Okay, let's." He said that he said he said I'm I'm getting attacked by this mob, but I didn't rob anything from you, did I? I'm surprised you wrote this in our notes, but I'm surprised that the toilet didn't end up being a bigger problem. Yeah, he flushes that toilet and it overflows in this dude's apartment, and then nothing kind of comes of it. It just Absolutely. cuts them going downstairs. I was like, I thought it was gonna be a huge like thing, and that yeah, later on that guy would go in and it's like my apartment's flooded. You destroyed it. Yeah, like I think know, that would have been. I'm a little disappointed that nothing came of that because that was like a big thing for me. It was like, oh, he flooded this dude's apartment. And then when he gets back and the dude's not there, I was like, oh, shit. Like he's going to go back to his apartment and see that it's flooded and that's going to be fucked up. And then maybe I guess maybe I guess sometimes things aren't a problem. And like, I don't know. It's just like everything else in the movie that could go wrong does go wrong except for that. Like he floods the toilet, but then nothing comes of it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of disappointing if, yeah. if nothing happens. So. It's disappointing yeah. to, to put that thread in the air and then not tie it in a little mm-hmm. bit for me. But other than that, everything else is perfect. When he goes to the the girl's apartment and she has the rat traps around her bed and then the rat gets snagged in it as he's like he's like trying to escape and like he sees this rat just like dying in the in the grasp of the rat trap. Yeah. It's That's such a visual good. movie and it's so good. So I think that was good. Another area where it was like, why didn't my guy do something else? Like when he went to go, which was a funny thing when the bartender's like, oh, so just take off, like leave. What's the worst she going to do? Kill herself? And it's like, oh, oh my God, it's so funny. You know, that, that could happen. So he's like, I got to be right back. Let me go check on the waitress. But even then it'd be like, what if you give me the keys right now? And then I have the keys and then I can go check. Like he could have taken the two seconds to do that. Because either way, he's in such a frantic state. It's like three in the morning at this point. He's in such a frantic state that he's not even thinking clearly. Like that's the that's the whole thing that I'm. I mean, he's just seen a dead person. Uh, At this point, at that point, like once he sees Marcy dead, everything from there on, I'm thinking he's not thinking perfectly clearly. He's just like exhausted and frustrated and really, really trying to get home. And like he's just not thinking clearly about it. Like if if he was really thinking clearly, honestly. If if the rain had stopped, he would have just walked home. Like he would have. Well, how far is it? <laughs> there's a note on IMDb. It's an hour and a half away. An hour Her and apartment half. to his apartment is an hour and a half walk. That's not too bad. When you're exhausted all day, though, I feel like that is pretty horrible. I would I say well because he needed the key at that point though. He needed the keys to get back into his apartment, right? Yeah, I guess you're right. So that's why I was saying like. If you're there, you would just do that, and then him not having his keys check so on important. the waitress. Um, it is, yeah, that's another great mm-hmm. curveball to throw in there to make sure that he has to like stay here, and then he's constantly trying to find where the bartender is at. So, yeah, just those minor things where it's like mm, maybe it could have been 
slightly tweaked to make sure that there was more of a reason for him to need to go like check the waitress without getting his key. But overall, I think mm-hmm. it's good. The one, the funniest thing in the film is when the just glimpsing into one random window, and then it's some domestic dispute, and the wife shoots the guy, and he's like, "I'm gonna get blamed for that somehow." It's so funny, so good. It's so <laughs> funny. I'm gonna get blamed for that, and then it immediately cuts to him running away. I like it's not even like a shock. It's not even like an oh no, that person's dead. He's like, I'm I know he was just that. so done with it. And he was like, yeah, somehow that's gonna be on me. My bad. <laughs> it's really really funny. I think it's funny when he finds Marcy dead, and he's like, I gotta call the cops. And he's like, but I don't want to be here. And so he just puts up signs that says dead person. That's pointing insane to- too. Yeah, dead person. <laughs> oh my god, horrible dead person pointing that way. So bad. <laughs> Craziness. Um, but yeah, in the oh, let's talk about the uh, the ending. I thought that was really great to have him be hidden in like a plaster mold to hide mm-hmm. from the mob. Then he gets stolen by the thieves, mm-hmm. <laughs> taken all the way back uptown, and then dropped off right at his work back at the beginning. Yeah. And they just to go crazy. in and go to work. Yep. <laughs> and his his wild adventure is over, and he's back into the doldrums of real life. <laughs> Is it supposed to be like, is he supposed to be grateful for how simple his life is? That's is what I'm wondering so, too. Of is like, it supposed yeah. to be that like, I don't know, is it like the dark Wizard of Oz where instead of getting this fantasy world where everything is interesting and colorful and fancy, everything is dark and twisted and everything goes wrong. And so you, you it's a different way of like missing home of like, you should miss the simplicity of what this is. Yeah. Because there's a point where he gets on his knees and he goes, I'm just a word processor. Why are you doing this to me, God? Yeah, that's the thing. Because we don't get any like deeper understanding into his life or any other things going on. It's just... I'm glad, though, because like, I don't really a boring want life. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's just living a boring life and then goes on this big adventure. But like, yeah. He does something wild, you know, he look because there's the moment where he calls Marcy and it's late and she asks him to come over and he looks at the clock and it's 1130 and he's like, all right, I can do that. I can be over 45 minutes. And it's that decision that launches him on this, this crazy odyssey of, of one wild night. Mm-hmm. So I guess like, yeah, he's just being transported into this crazy dark wizard of Oz going down the, the black tar road. <laughs> into As darkness. they do the final, like that final tracking shot. Once the like music hits and then it's just going around the office, zipping mm-hmm. by He's not at his seat when it goes back around again. Yeah, he's gone. So I don't know what that's also supposed to signify of like, did that? Because, yeah, he clearly had a bad experience with that adventure. So you would think, okay, now he's going to be a little bit more accepting and joyful in the simple life and knowing that it could be much crazier, more chaotic. Um, or like, what did that signify? Did he quit his job right then and there? Did he leave? Like it had to be purposeful of him to just not be in that seat. So what did that signify? I honestly like, have no idea. Like all the Wizard of Oz comparisons. I don't know, but it's fascinating. Any other final thoughts on After Hours? Uh, I really like the song that plays when he's dancing with June at the Club Berlin. Is that all there is? I like that. Like I've liked that song since before I watched this movie. And then I saw it in the movie and I went, oh, look at that. Is that song. And then uh, I think it's really funny in the first Club Berlin scene when he's getting his head shaved and he's running out. The person at the roof who has the spotlight is Martin Scorsese. Really? Yeah. 
he's up there and he's spotlighting the scene and like it, it cuts up to him and it's very clearly him and he's spotlighting it and then it cuts back <laughs> down. I think that's really, really funny. Also, I forgot to mention in Raging Bull, I'm 99% confident. I didn't look it up, but in the end when Robert De Niro is at the mirror and he's doing the, the I could have had class, I could have been a contender speech and the guy comes in to like interrupt him and tell him that he's supposed to be on, you don't see the guy. He's not even in the shot in the mirror. But I'm 99% confident that that's also Martin Scorsese. I'm pretty sure. You didn't uh, do a fact check on IMDb? No, but the one in After Hours is 100% more. It's like it's like right on him. And he just has a spotlight and he's spotlighting the scene and like moving around. He's in like a military coat or something. It's Club Berlin. <laughs> Interesting. I don't remember. It's that, really funny. I believe it. All right. How many bagels with cream cheese paperweights out of five? Dude, a full five. This movie's incredible. It's so funny. It's such an easy watch. It's so easy to get sucked in and to just turn your brain off and watch this craziness happen. And then it, it, it's all so satisfying to watch everything, except for the toilet thing, to watch everything come back and forth and like crescendo and, and move around all these different moving pieces that are happening all at once. It's, I think it's really good. Interesting. What would you give it? What would you have given it if uh, at the end when it does that tracking shot and then it comes back around and then it's him, normal suit, the plaster's all gone and he wakes up, he lifts his head off of the desk. And he wakes that would have been a three, bro. And it was all a dream. That would have been a three. If the <laughs> twist is that it's all a dream, that would have been dog shit. I would have been pissed. That'd be a terrible ending. Daydreaming about all this. So you just have issues with things being dreams, apparently. I'm sorry. That's just, just such a dog shit ending. <laughs> it was all That's a dream. Crazy. Fuck off. That's terrible. What does that change necessarily about the meaning of it, though? Like, exactly. That's why I'm like, that's why it's curious to me. Why it just takes this real experience, like it takes this real experience that I've been living with this character that I've been like dealing with as he's dealing with it. And like, as I'm getting to know him, I'm getting known because of this experience. And then it all happens to be just a product of his imagination. It's just dumb. So what would you give Wizard of Oz? You see, I don't think the Wizard of Oz was a dream. I think she was actually there. <laughs> She really got that's, scooped up. That's the that's thing is, like, it's debatable. Like, the argument is, it's possible that Oz was a real place that she went to. And is it though? Because all her like family members that are her friends that are like the Lion and the Tin Man and all that. Because how would you explain that? It's not a dream. Like, it makes sense that she projected them onto, or she like created them in that dreamscape because mm-hmm. that's the people she knew and that's like the her relationship to them and understanding of them. Yeah, but I think I think the argument can be made that it, it was in part a projection of her reality and in part like this actual experience and journey that she goes on as a person in this real physical place and that it's debatable at the end whether or not she was there or not. Like, I mean, in the movie, it's a little more clear cut that it was a dream, but I think in the book, it's more debatable. Sure. But... Which I think is the intention. And, yeah. and, and... They wouldn't make Wicked if it was all just a dream. <laughs> the prequel? The prequel to a dream? How stupid would that be? Franchise anything, okay. So with the, I don't know, I just think it's an interesting thing. Because, yeah, the Wizard of Oz comparison, like Wizard of Oz is clearly noted in the film. It's part of the mm-hmm. text. And then this can be seen in that sort of way. But um, but so even in the context of the Wizard been, of Oz, it is a, a projection of this character that we have gotten to know a little bit. Like we get to know her for like 15 minutes at the beginning of the movie, 10 to 15 minutes at the beginning of the movie and the people that are around her and then they're projected in the dream that she's having. 
In this, it would have just been he's having a dream, and these people are completely fictitious. Yeah, they're not elements of don't tie anything. to anyone in his real life. But exactly the same At idea the very though, least, of it being a daydream or an actual dream, and he's just going through this emotional yeah. journey, but it's in his head. Yeah, um, I'm assuming you're tying this back to stay a little bit with you. Of McGregor. course, yeah. this was my. At the very least, very at the very least, at the very least, in stay the people like the the use of the reuse of people in the movie as different characters in his imagination is smart, and I think it's a good idea. I just mm. don't like the idea that his conscious. I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea. I just think the execution wasn't great. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, as I was watching After Hours, I was wondering. I was like, I wonder what Dylan's going to think of this because. The similarities there of obviously this doesn't go as surrealist as Stay does, but it does yeah. things are like off the wall and heightened in a way like these are crazier you things. I, you're not grounded. So you know that I, I like heightened things. I do, but I'm also trying to pin down of why you are so averse to Stay. So partially, I mean, the dream thing has to account for a lot of it because if you would have given this a three, there were, dude, there were, three, that's crazy. Yeah, dude, it would have been. That would have been so stupid. Do you not think that would have been stupid? I mean, the ending of a movie is so important. And to end I on agree. such a sour note like that would maybe a four. Maybe I dropped. I'm saying the like the meaning, we didn't come to a conclusion on it in this. We were like, oh, it could be this, could be this, but why did he leave at the end? Why wasn't he visible in the tracking shot when he comes back around? So if it's him waking up, I don't see how that changes the meaning of it too significantly. Because we still don't fully know like what is the exact takeaway is he meant to be happier in his own life is he meant to be now with the taste of whatever that adventure was he like quits his job we're not fully sure so i don't know how that takeaway changes if it, it was feels cheap does it not feel cheap to you to do that i mean it's always the like eye-rolling thing of oh it's all a dream but substantially does it affect anything i don't know that it does because this is for me it's a everyday man character we don't really know much about him of his life beforehand and he goes on this crazy odyssey a wild journey what are the lessons we're supposed to take away from that whether it's a dream or real life i don't think that so you you wouldn't have cared if it ended up being a dream at the end you wouldn't have cared if he woke up at his desk he would have been like oh that's that's not what i would have done but it's still a good movie yeah, because I don't think it takes away like whatever the character arc or the, the no. I think it's cheap. I think it would be a cheap trick to pull, and not the good kind I of know, cheap I trick think, like the band. I think it aligns exactly with like Wizard of Oz. Aside from as you pointed out, they could have slapped fifteen more minutes on this to give us a better insight into him, and then maybe tie the characters he meets with. If they had done that, then I wouldn't have cared about it being a dream because then it would have made sense like The Wizard of Oz. But this in this situation where you said it's this exact same movie, the only change is that he wakes up at his desk at the end. That would have been stupid. Fair, I guess you just yeah, that's a a trope, I guess, that is always going to rub you the wrong way. It's just like doing things without a purpose just seems stupid. And that would feel like it was without a purpose. It doesn't connect to Wizard of Oz enough to to to. I feel give like it, it would still tie in though, of like, oh, he was so bored at this job that he concocted this entire grand thing. Yeah, but doesn't it feel him? more exciting and more brilliant and more crazy that this was a real thing that happened to him? That these are real things happening. Suppose, but it's obviously it's also so ridiculous. That's like this isn't a real thing. It's that's a gonna movie. Happen. I agree, but movie, that's what I'm saying. It could also be a dream where he's like. Or it could this just was, be a movie where these are crazy things happening and it's hilarious that this is happening then. But yes, but you're already 
agreeing to the fact that it's not real, it's not grounded. So why just taking one additional step to say, oh, but he was imagining it instead of it's just an imaginary because the joy of the reality in the movie. the joy of the movie is that I'm picturing a world where something like these events could happen. And that is what's so funny is that this guy is going on this adventure and it's real. If you took that away and said like, oh, it's a dream because obviously this wouldn't happen in real life. That shatters the image of what this movie is supposed to be. Like it's a movie. I'm supposed to be leaving reality to enjoy the movie. If you shatter that reality, what's even the point? But I'm saying why is it so bad for the character themselves to be like, I'm leaving reality to create this daydream. What's the quote of movies are dreams put on the screen or something like that? What's that big quote? I don't know. That's what I'm saying here, though. Of Like, yes, we're understanding that what we're watching isn't real. If the character also goes on some, and that usually movies are going to impart some lesson or have some theme, make us think about mm-hmm. an idea. If someone in their own head concocts this massive storyline that is meant to service for them, what a film Again, does it, to it, us. Again, it detracts. Like, that's fine. It detracts from this movie specifically, it detracts from what the main humor of the movie is, which is the idea that this is a reality, that this is a real reality. And that's funny. It's not funny if the whole thing is his imagination. I think, I mean, in the moment, though, where you don't know that, the comedy, I think, still works. And then in the end, I don't know how much, like, but understanding. If you pull the rug imagine. out, if you just pull the rug out from the audience and show that it was a cheap trick and that it was just a dream and that this isn't reality, it kind of nullifies the whole feeling of what the movie is. And anytime I watch it afterward, it ruins it. It's not funny anymore. It's not enjoyable anymore because of that cheap trick at the end. That is a dream. Again, I wouldn't agree with that though, because the you could take any movie. You could take any movie. Would have been have a character who is living a normal existence, who is propelled into an abnormal existence, and you could just have him wake up at the end, and it's a dream. That's not enjoyable. There's nothing deeper to that. It's just pulling the rug out for the sake of a twist that has no satisfaction to it. In the context of this movie, it wouldn't be good. In the context of Stay, it kind of works because. They make it make sense in the context of what is happening in that movie. I just don't like the execution. But in this movie, it just does not make sense. It could. It could make sense if he wakes up from his boring job. And again, it's the same thing. Like the beginning and ending that we have here is he went on some crazy journey after he got off the clock one day. And then he's right back in the beginning. has to go through the same stuff again. So if it's like, oh, we see at the beginning... He's going through the daily boring routine, and then at the end, it's him waking up from this daydream of him going on this wild adventure. I feel like that preserves what it was saying if it were just a real thing. Again, I'm not saying I would make the choice. I'm just saying I don't I think, don't think the anything purpose... substantially changes because of this choice. It would remain but what is the main purpose of the movie? I think the main purpose of the movie is not to make a commentary on the doldrums of office life. I think the main point of the movie is to create this extreme reality that is so far opposite from the doldrums of office life that it is humorous that this guy is caught up in this never-ending series of mishaps. Like That is the the point of the movie is to be funny and crazy because of that. And that part gets nullified by any kind of dreamlike existence for the sake of being commentary about the doldrums of office life, which this movie's not really about because he's in the office for... Five minutes in the beginning of the movie, and then no, no part of the rest of the movie is about him being in an office. Right. That's like the the joke is that you have this everyday normal guy who has a very very average simple life as a word processor, and then he decides to go on one wild limb and go out at eleven thirty at night 
to go meet this girl that he met for two seconds. And it's like this crazy thing to him. And then shit hits the fucking fan out of nowhere. And it goes wild after wild after wild and things get crazier and crazier and crazier. And that is fucking hilarious. It is so funny to watch not only him fumble every single like like moral dilemma that he's handed, but like just not know what to do and just drop the ball and mess up and then get stuck in situations that aren't his fault but are his fault and then get pushed and pushed and pushed to like his literal limits. And that's hilarious to see him in these situations. And that whole thing becomes nullified if it was just a projection of it. Because, like, what even commentary is that? That he's supposed to be grateful for his office life because he's dreaming about a crazier life? That seems so... Well, that's what we're saying. You don't know what such a bad way is anyway of him just exactly. going... Exactly. I don't need... Well, I don't need saying, to though. know what so, the takeaway is. I, I don't want to know what the takeaway is. I just want to have route, a good time for an hour and a half. I would imagine they would have given it some sort of more significant takeaway of like, why is it a daydream? Or, and I think that's or, the point is that, is that they don't want to, whoops. I don't think they want to give off any kind of concrete objective lesson at the end of it. I think they just want to give you a crazy wild fucking ride and have you buckle in for it. Fascinating. So you're saying sometimes just going on a fun, wild ride. When the execution is done right. Yes. I never, I never disagreed with you that that was a bad thing. I never said that a story had to have a concrete, solid follow through in the story to be good. I was saying that if it was trying to, it has to nail the landing with that follow through, and neither stay nor predestination did that. That was my issue with them. I don't think they they tried for that though in predestination. They absolutely were. They no, absolutely they were. were. They were just trying to have they a fun time not, travel movie. They did not have a fun time travel movie. They were trying to come up with literal lessons about like the ethics of immorality of paradoxes of time travel and the idea and concept of predestination as like an actual thing. Yeah, like, can you so. change but your fate? Let's move on from this so we can talk about Wolf of Wall Street 2013. So this is fascinating because unlike our disagreement apparently on whether dreams wait, wait 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 you did not you did not give out a five for after hours oh no i gave it a four i'm giving okay. it a four we never gave it but uh okay wolf of wall street yeah wolf of wall street so a historic review for us because this is the only film that is on mm-hmm. both of our top 10 lists that is not and i fucking movie. hate this movie no, no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so i love this movie i think it's so good i mean it is fantastic just it incredible. is absolutely one of the amazing. funniest movies i've ever seen in my life hands so down true. absolutely so true. hilarious and you think of martin scorsese and you think of things like raging bull and taxi driver and goodfellas and you don't really think comedy right away you don't think of like really funny things but in a lot of his movies including goodfellas there is really really funny moments and when he does do a comedy like after hours or wolf of wall street it stands out really, really strongly as being really, really funny. Which is I great because because when you think of Martin Scorsese as this very serious director who makes very serious movies. Even Gangs of New York has really funny moments in it. And this is just another example of like he he knew going into it that the extreme extremities of these characters' decisions and like the extreme nature at which they lived their lives was just fucking hilarious. That they did all these things and then at the end of it didn't really regret anything. They 
they they made all this money and they did all these drugs and they had all these affairs and they were terrible terrible people and they don't really regret it that much because it was great and that's really funny great yeah i think his ability to take on something like this make it a three-hour extravaganza of as you said people awful people doing a lot of fun things and making it so entertaining across the entire runtime it's such an achievement it's so freaking good so funny as you said performances are incredible all of it the writing is fantastic i mean again the camera work everything that he has here Mm -hmm. heightens to hit every point indeed give me one second i gotta go grab my clothes out of the dryer did you take me two seconds my dad needs the dryer Sorry about that. All right, continue. All right. So yeah, it is just fantastic on every level. Total masterpiece. So amazing. Let's just jump into it. Talk about all the amazing things, even though there's so much, way too much to cover. Mm-hmm. No way we can possibly fit it all in. But yeah, let's try and blast through it really quick because there's just so much that happens. There is. So, I mean, the opening itself plunges right into the the mayhem, the hedonism, the indulgence. When we get the contrast of the uh the professional commercial for strident oakmont with the lion walking around the uh mm-hmm. the sales floor and then we cut to the office party just insane stuff right off the bat then we get mm-hmm. leo's narration coming in and the so many great lines to this too this is a very quotable movie the uh him talking about how on his 26th birthday he got 49 million a year which really pissed him off because it was three shy of a million a year a week man a week yeah 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 so such a good line amazing stuff and then the whole thing with the white ferrari him like making sure no 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 it's not red it was white get it right like don johnson's um, in miami vice yeah yeah so all that and then all the drugs he can take um oh my god insane insane stuff that immediately gets us in there and then also it being you know a flash forward of him already when he's at this height of wealth it's mm-hmm. good that we don't see it from him already having fallen down. I think that was a great choice to yeah instead right of him. instead of raging bull where we have that flash forward to him being this failure, this fat failure, and then going back and moving forward. We have this look at him at the peak. We see how the peak that he gets to, and then we watch how he gets there, and then fall, watch his fall, which mm-hmm. I think is great. 
Because you're just you're just dying to see how he gets to such a such an incredible peak. That's like the mm-hmm. peak of life is where he gets to. My God, incredible stuff. Yeah. So the uh, let's just talk as well about Leonardo DiCaprio in this film in this performance. Mm-hmm. Where do you rank this in terms of Leo's performances? I think this is one of his best. I'm gonna be like top three probably. I think it I think is so fucking good. I just don't might know be how. His better than this because it's so like again he's playing an unlikable character but he is so charismatic and so likable that it does a great job of yeah the whole like salesmanship thing you know you're not supposed to trust this guy but we're watching it we're watching him again doing these awful things being terrible but it's so fun and exciting to watch him go through it um and yeah i think leo is able to hit that mark really well but also just the range that he has in this film the amount of screaming he does is insane oh my god the, it's nuts. the hyping oh my god exactly like all the speeches he's doing the drugs as well that he's doing and having to act uh high and drunk off his rocker mm-hmm. like all that stuff he just has an incredible range in this yeah it's just amazing and there's not like a false note anywhere in it like you're totally believing him he's totally magnetic on the screen it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he didn't win the Oscar for this one and later won for Revenant is wild. And who's so the man that took the Oscar from him? Who was None it? other than the man that stole the show in an early scene, Matthew McConaughey. Oh, is that this year? That was, yeah, the Dallas Buyers Club year. Oh, wow. So imagine that. Imagine being in the film Wolf Wall Street across <laughs> Leo. Giving one of the most iconic performances ever. Like, what an amazing scene. As you know, oh, yeah. I love McConaughey. But this scene... It's one I of mean, his best. And he's one in of the movie best. for so little. The best it's a three-hour movie, and he's in like five minutes of it. Yeah, and because they just do. This was it. Like, you put it all on the line here. Every single line, every delivery, every expression McConaughey gave. It was all perfection. It's a hoosie, it's a it's So it's very it doesn't exist. It's very does. It doesn't exist. It is no matter. It's not on the elemental chart. It's not oh, real. It's so, so good. Crazy. Every line he has in there is just hilarious. The stuff he does, like when he's like the, it's digits, high frequencies, ee, ee, ee. <laughs> like, <laughs> the noises he does, the mustard, and he's like doing the blinking. So good. We quote all the time the, uh, those are rookie, rookie numbers. You got to pump those up. You got to pump those up. I masturbate three times a day. You jerk off. You gotta stay relaxed. You, you jerk stay off. Relaxed. There's a rookie number. There's a rookie number. You gotta pump those numbers up. And then that's, the thing a, too, when that's an iconic you, line that I quote all the time. Those are rookie I, numbers. You gotta pump those numbers up. You yeah, and me both I, quote that all, do the, that all the time. It's the, the best uh, line in the movie. When he does the two fingers, I jerk off twice a day. Twice a day. And then he puts his, up his, his pinky his finger and his ring finger. Like that's so, so specific. I jerk yeah. off twice a day. Oh, it's so specific. It's so good. Everything about that entire performance in that like three minute scene is just so meticulously done. It's so yeah. perfect. Yeah. Cocaine. To be as funny and ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too good. It's so good. It's like it's literally like the character that Leonardo because in the beginning Leonardo DiCaprio was like just a normal stockbroker guy. Like he's not yeah. crazy at all. He's like looking at his future self. And seeing what he wants to be and then deciding just to be that. And then he is that for the rest of the movie. Very true. Yeah, it's like but the next scene. It just goes to him. As great as Leo's performance is, 
as great performances, he never hits the the, the heights that Matthew <laughs> McConaughey hits in this three minute scene. I mean, never gets that's just an all timer performance right there. It's absolutely like best supporting every... actor right there in three minutes. Exactly. He honestly, uh, that <laughs> he should have won for best supporting uh, for this. Um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. The little, Ah! what he does too when he has like his little <laughs> ah! he like flares his shoulders and everything it's just come on, so dude, come on. good it's so funny but yeah my favorite scene of this film by far one of my favorite scenes ever so rewatchable too it's so, so good. good i quote those all the time we i wish more people said fugazi <laughs> okay, in real life so i could just go into that <laughs> little burst of things it's a fugazi it's a fugazi it's a whoosh, it's, it's, what's it doing the whistle like who comes up with that? I need to know. Was any of that like in the script? How much of that was he just throwing on there? I gotta know because it's so good. <laughs> it's one of his best performances. It's crazy that it is. He's in it for yeah. three fucking minutes. This was the peak of the reconnaissance for real. Yeah, this and Dallas Buyers Club in the same year is crazy. Yeah, what a what a year for him. Yeah, you get out of balance, you'll tip over, and I've seen this, or worse yet, and I've seen this happen. Did you read Green Lights? You read Green Lights, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I borrowed it from you. Great book. Absolutely. So, yeah, great stuff. Amazing. Then, uh, yeah, we see after that moment, Jordan, then there's the whole Black Monday thing happened, so he gets kicked out, or I guess the whole company went under. Mm -hmm. So then now he's having to start up from the bottom of the barrel, goes to some random broker brokerage in a strip mall has to start selling penny stocks mm-hmm. and sheets they don't have computers um but he's able to succeed rapidly because the commission the percentage of it is so high so he's off to the races making these great deals and pressing everyone else on the uh in that company but again mm-hmm. just every little moment is so funny like when spike jones of all people being that like one <laughs> so he does the thing of like, if you get ten thousand, if you get a ten thousand dollar deal, I will suck your dick for free, <laughs> and I hope it happens. <laughs> I'm like, it's so good. It's these little it's moments so funny. scattered throughout. Too good, too good. And then, yeah, shortly thereafter, we have Donnie selling his life away. I forget what like the exact numbers were, but Leo was talking you made, about. You made five thousand dollars this week. You made five thousand. If you show me a pay stub for five thousand dollars, I'll go out there and I'll quit my job and I'll work for you. His teeth. Oh my god, dude. His teeth. I, this this is Jonah Hill's best insane. role, and he should have. I think he should have won an Oscar for it. I think it's way better than Moneyball. I think this is the best thing he's ever done, and I think it's so fucking. I good. agree. Like by so much better than the Moneyball. Just the just alone for the scene where he talks about how he married his cousin. That's insane. That, I also I forgot yeah, all I, about I, that. Rewatching. I love that scene. And I, I married my cousin. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're joking. No, no, no. I married my cousin. I did our respect. All the the guys come around. They say they want to bang my cousin. What, are we going to let them bang my cousin? I'm going to bang my cousin. You get out of here. This is my cousin. I I respect that. I'm fucking with you. I'm fucking with you. Really? No, no. (laughs) She's like my my third cousin. (laughs) (laughs) And you you just, at the end of it, you have no idea if he's telling you. I know. You really don't know. You have no idea if she's his cousin. Leo trying to suss it out of like, so is he. And he's like, he's like, actually, are you the first cousin? Like, like second cousin. Yeah. We, we had like a kid and we just had to like, just like take it out to a field and just let her run away. (laughs) (laughs) Wild. We get the uh, start of Stratton Oakmont where they get the whole gang together. 
very fun little crew there, including John Bernthal uh, as the Quaalude King. The oh, Queens. yeah. Amazing stuff. And then yeah, that whole scene too. Again, any scene, any scene here, we could literally talk about it for five minutes on, like the McConaughey scene, because they're all so good. So much is going on. Like the performance are just out of this world. But yeah, that whole sell me this pen thing. No one wants to do it. No one's going to do it. And John Bernthal, he gives it to him. He's like, I'll do it for you. Write your name down. Oh, I can't. I don't have here you go. When the dude is getting a, a blowjob in the elevator in front of everybody, and it's like some dude's wife that's doing it, and then it cuts to like that dude killed himself. <laughs> I know that was it like it's dark out of nowhere. Yeah, but that uh, which is good. They have moments in there which we'll talk about later on. Very, very. They have moments yeah. where they indicate like yeah, how horrible this lifestyle is, and how yeah, this road of hedonism will always mm-hmm. lead to terrible, terrible things happening. They slip that in in between all the great excesses and fun montages of people getting high and drunk and all that so yeah that stuff's great i like the teresa is like the one person that's like hey don't you feel bad about ripping off these poor people and belfort's like you're right i shouldn't be ripping off poor people i should be ripping off rich people that's so funny (laughs) so they do that they do the whole uh his speech of like we're chasing after whales, Moby Dicks. Um and then yeah, that montage. Again, they're so it's so energetic, so fast paced, propulsive. It's amazing when he does that whole montage of suckering in the one guy to join in for the blue chip stocks, like the one that are good, so that later down the line he can get him on those penny stocks with a high commission. Just mm-hmm. fantastic. Like they're all laughing in the background as he's making yeah. this deal. So it's good. great. Yeah. What now, was the, uh, oh, go ahead. Talk about Rob Reiner here. We were just talking about Rob oh, Reiner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's in the movie and he's fucking hilarious. He's, he's, he's the dad. I love the scene where he's quoting the bill. It's like a four minute scene and he's quoting the bill from the dinner. It's like a $30,000 dinner. He's like, mm-hmm. what are you, $30,000? What is this? What, what, who, who, $2,000 for potatoes? What, what are you ordering here? What are you ordering? And dude, Jonah Hill is cracking up. And the other guys are cracking. I'm like, come on, Jordan, tell him, tell him, tell him, tell him. And he's like, what is this? What is this entertainment company you're paying for? Ten thousand dollars is entertainment company. He's like, yeah, Jordan, what's what was the entertainment for? Come on, Jordan, what's the entertainment for? <laughs> and Rob Warner's like, it's hookers. I know it's hookers. You think I'm yeah. stupid? And then and then the guys leave. And Rob Reiner and and Leonardo DiCaprio talk about Bush for like a minute. <laughs> I know. Which also that too. I want to know how much was like in the script or how much they were like, yeah, let's just keep talking about it. It's like, are they are they are they clean shaven? Yeah. They're really? bald from the eyebrows down now. They're bald from the eyebrows down. Really? Wow. That's crazy. I never like Bush. It's so like, funny. I never, I never liked Bush. <laughs> I Rob mind. Reiner's like, oh, I didn't mind it. It's so funny. <laughs> it's such a funny movie. The um, that's crazy though too. If like imagine your dad being like whatever the like enforcer role, whatever the fake like job was, but mm-hmm. they like honestly don't want him to know like all the shenanigans going on. But then he's also completely like fine with him just paying ten thousand dollars on a entertainment company to be <laughs> cheating on his wife. Like what? Yeah, the moral debauchery is crazy. Yeah, it's insane. I like when you first meet him and he just like yells at reruns of the equalizer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. So good. 
What else? The, uh, what else? What else is iconic? What would be your uh, big, your favorite party that they do? The craziest party scene. The craziest party movie. scene. I like the one where they're throwing the midgets. And then, and then I really like because that's like the opening scene, right? Is that it's that party where they're throwing the midgets? Dude, and yeah, then like the conversation, then, dude. Two hours into the movie, they're having the conversation of like what it would be like to hire midgets. And like, can we throw them? We can, we can throw the midgets. And they're like having a legitimate conversation about throwing midgets and like the liability that they would have to pay for. It's the most. How much would that cost? Would would, it, would they let us throw them? Insane thing ever. Can we? Like, can this we is what roll they're designed them? for? I think if we don't treat them as humans, we're okay because we because <laughs> we can do it. Can we like roll them into pins? Like, what are the limits? Yeah. Of, like, well, what are our limits here? Like, I like the idea that they have these crazy debaucherous parties, and then the amount of effort that goes into planning them is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The but new marching shows- band, shaving heads. Oh my god, dude. Yeah. It's crazy. That was a good one of like yeah, the, the plane ride to Vegas, and you, they don't even show Vegas. They just show them on the plane, and mm-hmm. everybody's buck naked. Yeah, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Truly insane. The um, but yeah, that moment of the marching band too was good because it, yeah, you see that one little moment of like her looking at strands of her hair because it didn't even fully do it. Like she still had strands of hair just like on her head. Now she's walking away with the money in hand, and then like strands of her half shaven head in the other. Mm-hmm. It's like. Wow, looking at the extent people will go to and debase themselves in order to get some money. Mm-hmm. That was a nice moment of again sneaking in, like, oh yeah, this is at the end of the day, it's all like awful and exhausting. Um, but yeah, I think those were pretty great. The whole the house party where they meet Naomi though, I think that that's great because number one, her introduction, fantastic. Yeah. The Quaalude thing before that of when they were uh Steve, they kept saying Steve was what it was or something else, but it was just like in slow mo for one minute of Jonah Hill like walking up to the thing. As he like rips out his dick and starts jerking off. Yeah. Also crazy. Just insane stuff. Um but yeah. His wife goes, Donnie, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Also, let's take inside here a good time to talk about Margot Robbie as Naomi. Oh, she's fantastic. Breakout role right here. Like breakout role for sure. Justin Mason. Yeah, she's so, incredible. She's no so wonder. funny. She stands out so much in this movie. She gives like real life to that character, which could have been like in another director's hands, could have been a very much a side character. But she really right. stands out. Because, yeah, as, she's obviously as, super gorgeous, and she could have just been kept in that role. And for the most yeah. part, I mean, this is from Belfort's perspective, so it's yeah. not like we get any scenes of just her. But we are able to get, like, she has real life to her. She is able to spar with him like especially later on in the scene or in the film um, that she definitely goes toe to toe and is able to like point Who's out Venice how awful he is horribly things like that, which Venice, is Venice, hilarious. Maybe what I'm doing a deal in Venice beach. And then it cuts him and he has like, he has a candle in his asshole and she picks up the candle and she's like burning him on his back. What is this safe word again? Um, God. What is it? Wolfie, wolf, wolfie, 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 wolfie. Oh, man, it's wolfie, wolfie. <laughs> It's a safe word, Venice Wolfie. I don't give a shit about your safe <laughs> word. It's so amazing. But yeah, that whole stuff too. The uh, flexing your muscles. You look like an imbecile. So good. Throwing water on it. Oh, amazing. So yeah, she's incredible. Able to go toe-toe with, yeah, like Leo at the top of his powers. Yeah. Um, 
Like she's she is seen to scene with role. Leonardo DiCaprio, is. who is like one of the greatest actors of all time. This is her breakout role, and she is holding her own, which is fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking up. She was she's young. I think our age. Yeah, she's 23. Yeah, she was our age when this came out. That's insane. That's crazy. Imagine giving like that performance, going toe toe like in a Scorsese film against Leo. At 23 is insane. His so yeah, amazing. Um, Good for her. The iconic speeches. There are two oh fantastic ones. The I'm not fucking leaving. There's that one. We'll get to that. The hype speech, though, for Steve Madden's shoes. That one's also incredible because it sets the stage of like, oh, we need to get all these people on board for this guy who's not charismatic at all. But they have like tons of, uh, they bought a, a bunch of stock. So if they're able to sell off a whole bunch, they can make all that money for just themselves. Again, highly illegal, but they don't care. That's what they're doing. So they need to get the whole firm on board. And so they, Leo has to come on, take over for Steve Madden, and then he just goes insane with it. Mm-hmm. Like getting so crazy. The whole thing of him like being like, oh, you guys are my my fighters, my warriors, my telephone terrorists. Insane, insane line. And then the whole thing as well of him being like, oh, there's no nobility in being poor. I've been a rich man, been a poor man. I choose rich every time. Because at least when I have problems, I can show up in the back of a limo with a suit on, all of that. But the best part of it is when he starts hitting the microphone against his head, <sighs> like multiple times, yeah, screaming. And then he does, like he like protrudes his chin out. It's insane. He looks like a caveman or something like that. Like the he just goes all out. Again, he puts like all of himself into this role, which is hilarious um, and so impressive. But yeah, that was fantastic. And then the I'm not leaving. He goes up there to resign, but then talks himself into staying of like, I told you all never to quit, never to put up the phone. And what am I doing? That's what I'd be doing. I'd be quitting. It's so funny. I'm not fucking leaving. So yeah, that whole moment. Great, great meme as well. <laughs> Very quotable. But uh, yeah, when that whole exchange with Kimmy, who also fantastic actress, where has she been? Like, where's mm-hmm. all these roles? Because in such a minor, small part, the amount of emotion she's able to bring out because again like all these people are despicable like kimmy also was in all that i like how later on mm-hmm. they're getting arrested and she's part of this whole gambit too but we see where she started out of she was like in debt needed a place to go to and then mm-hmm. he's telling the story of like all the things he did for her which is sick on one level to be like airing out the issues mm-hmm. that she had to everyone to ingratiate them to him of like, well, look what a great guy I am. But you do see her like when she's mouthing, oh, thank you so much, or I love you. Like the impact that it had on her was huge. And so no Mm -hmm. wonder she's willing to do all this horrible stuff for him. Because look at what he did for her. He was able to get her to the place where now she's wearing the $3,000 Armani suits and able to go on those trips. That too of like those little moments where she like does a little wipe of her her jacket mm-hmm. and does the snapping as well mm-hmm. like that too i think is so well done and so nuanced of yeah very unlikable <clears throat> but then also like yeah like why wouldn't she be flaunting it if she was able to get it at that point so oh yeah i was just always struck by that particular moment in that character um of what a great very small minor supporting performance 
So. There's very good, like, small moments with a lot of the supporting cast. Like, the supporting yeah. cast in this movie kills it. They make this movie stand out by, by doing such unique and odd things throughout the whole thing. Dude, just the shots of John Bernthal just, like, working out. <laughs> he was, like, pumping mad iron in his mom's backyard. So funny. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Another uh, a moment to the film, the whole yacht, FBI, bribe Dude. meeting. Very good. <laughs> Yeah, very good, perfect. very good. Like slow dialogue scene between the two of them, where like mm-hmm. you could feel the tension slowly rising. Yeah, that build up was great, um, and what a great little touch to be like, oh, he used to be an aspiring stockbroker. Mm-hmm. Like Leo had, uh, he sent out the <laughs> his PI to get all this info on him, and then so you mm-hmm. can see that like question of at the beginning, Belfort was also like that where he was just being this aspiring stockbroker he had even said at one point the whole thing of like oh if we can make money for the the customers too like everyone wins and mcconaughey's like no <laughs> wrong so he ended so up in funny. this place and you're wondering like oh could that fbi guy have done that too um but he is standing by his morals and he's like oh did you just try and bribe me and they have that whole funny like overly polite but hating the other person wanting to throttle them as he's like leaving the yacht, that whole thing is great. And then he comes back in the end when we see him in the subway, as Belfort was saying, of like, oh, you'll be sitting in the subway, making 50000 a year, wishing you could have been where I'm at. And once he had put Belfort away in jail, now he's in the subway, living this very normal, low-key life. And yeah, there's a bit of sadness in there, but there's at least the understanding of, okay, he is he's able to... Sleeping with, uh, sleep at night, right? Live with himself. Mm-hmm. The problem is, Belford is too, and he does all these horrible things and is crazy rich. So that's yeah. just the dilemma of like, I can do these things, I can put these people away, but it honestly is like no skin off their back. They're they're fine with being the people they are, and yeah, by being far better of a person, more moral of a person, you get far less in life and mm-hmm. from society for doing that. So. I thought that was a great inclusion to have there because we don't see much of like the victims of the like Belford and all this stuff. Like we don't see the people getting ripped off, but we do see this one other side of like one moral character in this and mm-hmm. his first wife, Belford's first wife, I think as well. But yeah. yeah, I think those were necessary to include to give some of that contrast because again, everyone else just awful, awful people. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Yeah. The drug scene where <laughs> after he got Bernthal arrested by being a total schmuck. Yeah. Then he's trying to hide it by giving uh, some old, old quaaludes to to Belfort so they can get on this big trip and so he won't be able to hear the news. But then it's delayed, so they take a whole bunch. And then when it hits, <laughs> it hits. It's insane. And he has to take the Ferrari to the country club. To the the back. <laughs> oh my God. Him going up those stairs is incredible. Yeah, The whole, first of all, like he thinks he's hit, driving well. And then the cops get to him and be like, sir, <laughs> you know how you were driving? And then it comes to the reality. He's like going three miles an hour, banging into everything on the way. Yeah. Every parked car, every mailbox. Oh my God. It's so funny. That's what I mean. But again, like Leo's acting in this thing. Wild. So good. So Amazing. And then, yeah, the little flourishes too of like when he's looking down the steps, like in reality, it's like five steps, but then mm-hmm. from his vantage point and being high, it looks like 25 steps. 
So that stuff is great. But yeah, the acting in that moment out of this world. Incredible. Also, like very hilarious, but just again, the like so out of pocket things of him being like, we discovered a new stage of the levels of high on a quaalude, the cerebral palsy stage. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. (laughs) So horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh my god! It's and so then him, good. even when they get back, and he's like trying to get Donnie off the phone, and he's like getting choked by the the cord, the cord. cord. Amazing, the whole scene just wild, off the wall, incredible. Absolutely. And then there's the yacht scene. I love the build up to the yacht crash where they have to get to Switzerland, and he's trying to convince the women that it's safe. And he has the captain and he's like, it's chop, right? Like, what is chop? Like, define chop. And the guy's like, it's, it's chop, you know? It's, you know, it's just, you know, it's chop, you know? And they just, they just keep saying it over and over again. And they're like, is it safe? He's like, yeah, it's safe. And then it cuts to the, like, the worst storm you've ever seen in your life. And they're going to die. Absolutely, yeah. That whole, that's great. But yeah, when he learns of the news of the aunt dying, mm. and he's just... It's great because he's like overacting in this point. But His face. He, he's so like distraught. No. <laughs> it's so funny. Because he knows what it means for him. Yeah, because it's oh just because God. the money for him. The money, so yeah. Imagine Naomi saying that and being like, wow, you really cared about my aunt. But it's like he's just so distraught about the money. He's like, no, that's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's so, so good. good. Yeah, what it's was so it good. that Jonah Hill said when they were talking about the chop? And she was like, I really don't think it'll be safe. And he's like, oh, it's just a little chop. I'll chop your credit card or something like that. <laughs> you had a good little line there. Um, you want to chop? I'll chop your credit card. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Everything Jonah Hill says in this movie is fucking yeah. hilarious. The, um, but yeah, when they're in that yacht and that's happening. And, and again, the facial expression is going crazy on this. When he's like, get, get the loot. It's like tongue is I sticking out on every word. sober. The loot. <laughs> it's insane. And then he does. Jonah went to go get it, and it's like half flooded. And he gets the back. Oh man! And they get taken off by the. I'm gonna die, Jordan. I don't want to die, Jordan. And then it just cuts to them parting on the like at the Italian Coast Guard boat, and they're just like dancing with the sailors. Yeah. It's like nothing even happened. It's like the consistent God, so lack of consequences that they don't have to deal with. So but then, yeah. But that is a turning point for him of like the plane crashing after that, and he's like, "Wow, this is the wake up call." Which, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's the most powerful wake-up call you could possibly get is surviving a yacht crash and then not being on a plane crash that was meant for you to be on that came to get you. So, yeah. So he's able to change his ways a bit, Mm. doing some, like, uh, commercials, trying to sell some sort of, like, training program or whatever for sales, and then gets arrested in the recording for one of the infomercials. (laughs) <laughs> That's a great touch there. Um Benny Hanna? Benny Hanna? Benny fucking Hanna? <laughs> yeah. I love later, that one. But when the the Swiss guy Oh yeah, no, no, that was that one. Yeah, the Swiss no, guy it's because they get arrested because of Benny Hanna, because the guy from Benny Hanna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, he has to be a rat, but doesn't do it. He passes a note to Donnie warning mm-hmm. him. But then later they got the note. So he has to go to jail anyhow. Um, but then, yeah, we get the big fight with Naomi, which, again, a very critical thing, because up to all this point, we see all the 
extravagance and all the debauchery going on. And it is fun, but we need to see that moment of like, oh no, he is a truly terrible person. Mm-hmm. And so him fighting with Naomi of her being like, oh, we're getting divorced. Then he's not having that, saying you're not taking the kids, which again is hilarious because he never once engages with the kid at all. Like, I don't think we see him with the kid until very, the point yeah, when he's barely. trying to kidnap her. Um, which, by the way, 2013, Breaking Bad, also having the uh, kidnapping the kid moment. Great. And breaking up the family that way. So amazing. We are both uh, suckers for that type of thing because it's a great climax. I mean, it's the lowest you can get, literally attacking your wife, stealing your own kid. But then he's so high because he also relapses that he can't drive properly, crashes. So, yeah, low so low, he gets there. And then when he goes to jail, it doesn't even matter because he's rich. Yep. So he's fine. He gets the. I love that. He's, he's like, he's talking about going to jail and he goes, wait a minute, I forgot. I'm rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So they're just there on the tennis court playing. And by the way, they sucked at tennis. It always. I'm always watching it as they do it, and they miss every single time. Like, none of them are able to hit it over the net. Like, Leo <laughs> serves it, he fails. Whoever he's playing against serves it, fails. They drew it again. I'm like, they couldn't have got a shot where they, like, made it over once, had one volley. I think but, it's really funny that they keep failing because they're just yeah. not good at tennis. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and then we get the ending the uh, where he's running that sales seminar and does the same thing of sell me this, sell pen, me this, pen. this pen. Sell me this pen. Then it does a little cheeky tilt up to the rest of the audience watching. And what do you think about this, uh, this final shot? What does it signify to you? Just the constant drive to con the drive to be successful in the worst way possible. Sell me this pen. (laughs) Yeah. Always, always about the sale. I love the initial scene where, He's trying to get the guys to sell him the pen and they're just like describing the aspects of it. And he goes, he goes to, to John Bernthal, sell me this pen. And John Bernthal goes, here, write my address. And he goes, I can't have a pen. He goes, boom, supply and demand. Yeah. Great little line you put there. Boom. And he wasn't even, he, he kept looking away too. He like wasn't even. Yeah, he like doesn't even care. Yeah. He's like, and then Jordan Belfort's like, that's it. That's what you got to do. That's perfect right there. Yeah. So the, um, this one, I think, unlike After Hours, does have a very clear message, which is also important to have as a way to cap off all this, again, just crazy, very entertaining, very fun, but very hedonistic, debauchery stuff, Mm. where we have this audience of just normal people, normal-looking people looking up to Belfort, trying to get these, like, secrets to success, and, like, what can I do? And, again, he's, like, showing them how to sell to people, so again, we don't know whether these people are going to go on to be brokers or whatever, but just that cycle of continuing to con people to just rip people off. And then the people that are in this audience who are there to learn that mm-hmm. are also being suckers themselves because they're being ripped <laughs> off um, by this guy who doesn't care either way, whether or not they'll be able to make it or yep. uh, be successful, but he's just going to use the notoriety that he gained from ripping off people to Mm -hmm. bring people to him to try and learn those secrets. And then once again, he's able to just take money off of them. So I think that is very effective, like a great ending to have just like this 
quiet, still moment of these people, doe-eyed, looking up at him, trying to gain the secrets of how to sucker other people to get success. And that's just at, like, that's, that's where it is, where people are that greedy or hungry for money or power or status or all this, that they're willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And we're not that different as audience members watching Wolf of Wall Street and loving it and enjoying every moment of the debauchery. Yeah. Bill Fort is like a successful guy to this day because of this. Like he had his whole second life coming from like now doing speaking engagements and all this. Like he had the book deal, he had the movie deal. And now he's like, I see him on podcasts where he's chatting about this stuff and all these crazy adventures and whatnot. He's still like profiting off of that. And people are still so fascinated by him and his story. I think that's just a great way to show like this never-ending cycle of those people sitting there watching Bill Ford, not unlike us doing the same thing. And hopefully we'll yeah. be able to take the right message away, which we is we are that captive audience. But some people will be the people that are gonna want to emulate him and think, oh, this is awesome. Just like when that one yeah. uh, hit piece came out in the story of like him being the Wolf of Wall Street and then all those mm. young people showing up to his to his firm trying to get a job because they loved the fact that, yeah, he was just some person ripping people off, making a whole lot of money off of it. And they were like, oh, I want to do that. So I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Which brings me to the red flag movie allegations. <laughs> so a long time before. debate in our friend group. <laughs> yes. I'm there at a party talking about favorite movies and stuff, mentioning Wolf of Wall Street, a fantastic film, masterpiece. And then it gets called Ooh, out as a quote unquote red flag movie. Yeah. Ryan Hill canceled for his love of the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, what the heck? We hear of things like Fight Club, Joker, Taxi Driver, American Psycho. Seven. Seven. Yeah. As these like, you know, film bro, red flag type movies. And I think the funniest thing about it, is for almost all the ones I mentioned, <laughs> you would have to be brain dead watching it to take the wrong message. Cause they're almost always about, no, these are awful people and you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. But there are people that do take the wrong message, I guess. And unironically are like idolizing some of those characters, which I think speaks to, yeah, like, I don't know that lack of power that they're feeling. And so that mm -hmm. these like, male power fantasies where they're being so over the top in how like crazy they are is i don't know attractive to people that they're willing to ignore again the endings of these films that showcase this is bad these are bad mm -hmm. people don't be like this so they ignore that and then take all the rest yeah. of it and mold their personality around it but i think again with wolf of wall street we were talking about like california split not too long ago and you're like oh it shows like the fun of gambling yeah, this, it really does. <laughs> this really shows the fun of like, oh my god, yeah, doing all this crazy stuff. And again, I'm not, as you know, not interested in drugs, drinking, hookers, things like that. Yeah. Like, I not interested not in at all. Lightest, but, yeah. but then you watch this movie. I have so much fun watching this movie. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so it makes you kind of want to do blow and and have sex with hookers, right? Like a little bit. So I think this is a movie where it. It's like I can see people being like, oh, this is awesome. Let me let me take the next plane ticket to New York and try and become a stockbroker so I can do sure. all this crazy stuff. Um, 
but again i think it has enough of these like sneaky little things in there that are like oh this is bad and then again the way way he ends up he loses yeah, if you if you stop like, the movie 30 minutes from the ending then yeah you're, you're taking away the wrong message at that point yeah he's just riding end, high on life and it's great it all but in does the end, apart, yeah in such an honest and real way like he really loses the important things in his life, his wife, his kids, his uh, notoriety, his company. And like all he's left with is what he really is, which is just a, a con man that's completely alone. Like that's like he has all these things around him that he doesn't deserve. And then at the end, I don't think he's learned a lesson. I think he's still a bad guy, but he is more completely himself where he, you just see him as just this con man. Yeah. With everything, everything, all the decorations, all the suits, all the fancy things that are around him, shed completely gone in a way, and he is just this figure of like the con. And you mm-hmm. see that for sure. So yeah, I think it, it's supposed to be like you, you should not want to be this guy. Like you do not want to yeah. be the con. But they don't even, which I think is good, is they don't have this big like tirade at the end, or having some character come in and espouse all these things of like, yeah, see how it all fell apart from him in the end and he was left to shelve himself. And yeah, like we know, I mean, like, yeah, we get that. Like, again, I don't feel like there's a need to have a hand holding throughout the film of like, yeah, these guys are partying doing all this and it's fun to watch. But remember bad people. It's like, we can see that. Like we know yeah. part of the, mm-hmm. at least again, like it being a film as we can indulge in like this vicarious enjoyment of these things. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to do that. Like the whole point is like, Oh, it's fun from afar, but not to actually participate in day in day out and be doing all these horrible things in order to get to those highs literally and figuratively. So I think, yeah, we don't need to have a very clear like title card of being like, by the way, Mm -hmm. don't be this bad person. Um, I think it stands on its own. So the whole thing of like this being one of those red flag movies, it's like, is it though, or is it just a Scorsese masterpiece with incredible performances, so entertaining, amazing quotable lines, mm-hmm. the editing, the cinematography, again, all of it is on like hilarious top tier it could possibly be. That's what we're enjoying about it. I don't know why anyone would suspect initially that it'd be like, oh, you enjoy it because you want to be Belfort or something. So, yeah. Oh my God, dude, I completely forgot about the scene they smoke crack in the back of like the bar. I think it's oh, so yeah. funny. Come on, Jordan. Come on, Jordan. Smoke crack with me. Come on. Just, just smoke a little crack with me. Come on. Just smoke mm. a little crack. I think it's, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. This is yeah. the way it's shot where they're like tucked away in the corner and Jordan Belfort is just like, I don't know if I really want to do this. Like, this is oh, like, God. this is kind of excessive. He's like, come on, Jordan, just one, one hit. hit, just one hit. Just do the crack with me, man. Just come on. I think it's so funny. And, he, and then Jordan Belfort goes, I right, find one hit. <laughs> Yeah, and then he lights up like a Christmas tree, dude. He was like, oh, this is awesome. And then that was it. He was gone. And so that's why you never do crack once, kids. Not even it'll, once. It'll hook you. So, yep. so do you think this movie's a red flag? I do not. I agree. I think it, I is, think it is a green flag because it means you love amazing Still cinema. Me. Yep. Yeah. Are there any movies that you think really are red flags? Uh, and it's a good question because, like, I see the thing of like, oh, someone could be taking the wrong things. I think it's the context. Yeah, if you like a movie and you like it for the wrong reasons, yeah, that, you need that to is know, the red flag. You need to ask a little bit more. I don't think you can just hear like, oh, this is my favorite film, 
and then immediately judge off of that. Like you have to have some follow-up yeah. questions to determine why. Like, what do you think the message is? What is yeah. the standout part of it for you? And then you can be like, Although I will say, I think if somebody told me that their favorite movie was Joker, I would, without asking any questions, I think I could make that a red flag <laughs> in my own mind. Unless the idea of it is just, that and American Psycho. Like, I like American Psycho, and I know why people do like American Psycho, but if it's your favorite movie, there's a reason why, and I know why, and it's not good. You're you're misinterpreting the movie entirely. Like that's that's why it's your favorite movie is you're completely misinterpreting. I don't think so. Again, I think American Psycho is so hard to misinterpret. No, dude, people misinterpret. People misinterpreted the book when it came out, and then they really misinterpreted the movie. And the movie makes it even more clear than the book does. And people yeah. still misinterpret it. People just think Patrick Bateman's cool because he's a serial killer and he's an alpha male. This is a real thing that happens. It's not a lot of people. It's a very small percentage, but it happens. And they're real yeah, people. I would, they're not uh, good people. Write them there off. Are, there are many people. Need, I would need the uh, follow-up question. But like, I wouldn't judge a person for saying they like American Psycho. If but you're saying it's their favorite, it's favorite movie. Film. Is there like, above all, favorite movie? I just, I feel like, I feel like that is a red flag that merits the question, why? Why is that your favorite movie? Please answer the question and answer it right. Like, <laughs> Because I don't be want you to well, well, right answer for you to say if they're like, oh, I think it's such a great takedown of. Oh, yeah, I think I think it's a really good satirical representation of toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity sure. Yeah, if they said that, I'd be like, all right, pass. But if they were like, dude, Patrick Bateman's so cool and he's such an alpha male and he totally dominates those women. I'd be like, dude, what the fuck? You're a crazy person. Those people exist. There are not a lot of them, but Never they're there. The one in person. That'll be the day where I'll. Dude, those red, those red pill people are real, but they're mostly online. Yeah. I mean, you see that, like the online thing, but that's what I'm saying. Like I'm imagining context of like, again, like where we were in a party and someone yeah, as oh, that's a, a red party. flag movie. I'm like, what the heck? So <laughs> That's a really funny thing to say out loud at a party without any follow of like, of like, if you had like explained that you liked Wolf of Wall Street and you had said something like, I like how debaucherous it is. And I like how crazy Jordan Belfort is. And I think he's a cool dude. If you had said something like that and then someone said it's a red flag, they can get away with that statement. But yeah. for you to just say, I really like Wolf of Wall Street, and then for someone to call you out and be like, red flag. Yeah, that's what's crazy to me. So, yeah, that I would always crazy. say you have to ask the follow-up. Yeah, um, the follow-up's important, but, I mean, if it's your favorite movie. Like, there are some – I feel like there are just some where if it's your favorite movie, I think I can guess what the, the answer to the follow-up will be. I'll still ask the follow-up. But I have a feeling I know what the answer is going to be, and I'm not going to like it. Mm, I mean, I guess, but yeah, I would hope. I'll still ask. I've, I've been on the other end, and you benefit too, of I the mean, doubt. This is your I know, I know. Benefit the of the doubt. Ten movie for you, so we got to preserve brother, brother. the fact that uh, I'll always give the benefit of the doubt. But my assumption will still stand, <laughs> and I've, I'm fairly certain I'll be right. But I'll give the benefit of the doubt, of course. I'll always ask why. Why did you like such a movie? Like, please explain what your fascination with it is. And then, mm -hmm. and then sometimes I've been proven wrong. Like I have people who like really like Joker and I'm like, why, why did you please explain? And then they talk about like how they like the, the cinematography and they like the, um, uh, the set design and stuff. And then I've had people who I've said, why did you like it? And they're like, it's such a good representation of what society does to men, like pushes them to the edge. And this is what men do. And I'm like, Ooh, that's not good. Just, we live in a society. Okay. Yeah. I was like, oh, no. You took the wrong message from that movie. That's not That's not what the intention was. At least not that specifically. You did not take the intention away of that being like, 
wrong for the man. Uh, it's I guess the whole thing. We talked about Joker already. Go listen to our Joker episode from. I don't know that. Oh it's my a, god, four um, is it? Is it just on the radio show? It might be, but that's a because oh, yeah, we talked. Right. This will be for a future thing for sure. But yeah, we talked about Taxi Driver, which obviously is the uh, <laughs> you know the basis for Joker, anyhow. Yeah. Um, but where that also gets you know bad rap, where I mean there were a pretty notorious example of someone taking the wrong message from that. Um, yeah, but it is fascinating because I feel and not to go into it now because again it's a huge topic, huge discussion. Yeah. So we'll save it for later. But people have argued that Taxi Driver doesn't do a good enough job of highlighting that it is a bad thing. Mm. What Travis Pickle does, and the so, and I don't know that I entirely agree with that for that movie, but I can see then how people are like, "Oh, you're saying the same thing about the Joker in Joker." Um, I think the argument can be made for both movies. I think it's easier to make for Joker. If I had, to be I agree honest. with that. Like you and I both, like yeah. Which if that episode is up, people can listen to it. But it might need to be something we revisit. Yeah, right. I don't think it later. is up. Um, but yeah, we weren't too big a fan of it because, and partially because we don't think it made it that clear even though again it's like if you have a brain you can have two cells run rub together and be like okay obviously they're not gonna say go out and do these things but to a vulnerable portion of the audience that is feeling in that way and then they see something like that and you don't allow the negative sides of it to be portrayed mm-hmm. um as in prominently as maybe they should be then i can see how that could lead them down a path that you know we don't want it to so i think yeah the argument could be made for both movies for one i feel that it probably as you said yeah could be made Mm -hmm. here or more strongly but yeah i wouldn't discount because i know some people might think oh it is actually a good representation of this without it falling into the camp of yeah sure the negative side of it and i think that argument can also be made it's just harder to make that argument but i think it can be made there are people who do like Joker and like it for the right reasons. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. And we love Wolf of Wall Street. For oh, the hell yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So that How many Quaalude fueled office ragers out of five do you rate Wolf of Wall Street? As if you needed to ask. As if I needed to ask. The fullest five there could possibly be. We're going Absolutely. all the way back to the lemon Quaaludes or whatever they yeah. were. We're going back to the vintage stuff, baby. Yeah, we're hitting our cerebral palsy phase now. <laughs> my God. Full five out of five. My God. I mean, it's in both of our top tens. That's crazy. It is. Yeah. That is like a that is a heavy hitter movie right there. I don't think there's many other movies that are in both of our top tens, if any at all. There's not. I said at the top, there's this is the only one aside from Star Wars. Although Star Wars me, is in I, top 10? I revolve around if it's Empire or Star Wars or I love Return of the Jedi too, man. It gets bro a new hoe. Like bad for the other ones, but I like Return of the Jedi too. But a new hoe. I love them. Yeah, I know. I go back and forth. Like when I sit here and think about each of them, and I'm like, oh, that one's that's so amazing because it has this one, and I'm like, oh, that one's so amazing because it has this scene. So it goes back and forth. Um, so that that's like the asterisk is Star Wars could end up in mind. There is a Star Wars film there, but which one it is exactly, we don't know. But Wolf of Wall Street for sure certainly is in both of our top tens, and that is. But Uncle Owen, I was going to go in town and pick up some power converters. You pick that as the, uh, <laughs> that's the <laughs> one that puts it over the edge. <laughs> it's so. such a funny line because it means nothing. <laughs> There's so many specific lines that mean absolutely nothing in that movie. And it's really funny. But all right. So 
great discussion about some yeah. Scorsese classic. Knocked out a couple of Scorsese hits, and we will be returning to the Scorsese hits not too long from now. Indeed. And then, of course, we will be discussing our most anticipated film of the decade, because it's been supposedly coming out for so long. But finally, it will be here later in October. Killers of the Flower Moon. Stay tuned. Indeed. Absolutely. That is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to, and be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day.